Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Grimecast. As always, I'm your host, Nutchucks, and with me, as always... Man is quietly quite happy that William Shatner got to go to actual fuck space, browbeat. Fuck space? Not regular space, but fuck space. At full sprint, as we just discussed. Yeah, indeed. His entry the entire time. I'm just waiting for the day when we have another guest or something on here, and I have to actually change it up. Like, with me as always... Oh, wait, there's somebody new. Hold on a second. Here's this person. My bad. It is. It has been said that hosting and moderating is a bit of a skill, and we're developing that. Uh, for now, you're stuck with me, but you're, as your avenues expand, you're always welcome to incorporate new elements. Indeed. It's kind of like the uh, YouTube channel First We Feast seminal hit show Hot Ones featuring Sean Evans as the host. What's interesting about watching the good man work is that there are some well-worn in, cemented, seared in phrases that he has no problem rattling off as his mouth is on fire because he's done it a few hundred times. He said the phrase, the body knows, is just a motor response. But as it's, as your mouth is moving as you're doing that, your brain is thinking of the next creative element to flex in. You have a few moves that you can try and pull from or a in-the-moment development. It's, it's definitely a skill set. And you could go to school for it, for broadcasting and such. Or you can learn it your own way. Both are available. But what they share is a combination of intent. You want to get better. You want to develop. And that's very important. As I'm now also succumbing to the trend of over-enunciating T's. T's? Because that is good broadcaster behavior. Right? I guess. I don't know. You're talking to the wrong guy. Well, for now I am. But then that guy <laughs> got better. The guy that's indeed the- did. Yeah, all right. So since the last time we've been on here, what have you been up to? What have you seen? Anything new? Anything exciting, sir? A few things new and exciting. Uh, not as many as maybe I expected. We, we're, it's as you get older. There's a great meme I saw. Uh, when you thought that you'd be an adult, you'd think you'd have a, you'd build a house, have a fulfilling career, and then maybe you go to space like William Shatner. Uh, but in reality, what you have is a bag with other bags in it. Um a barely running vehicle, and anxiety. So it's that last one in that package that I'm learning to come to grips with because, I mean, we're living in interesting times, certainly. But that anxiety is a motherfucker. You'd never really feel... I mean, Chucks, you, you, you kind of collect your stuff together. You use your volumetric shit compressor to keep yourself moving despite the doubts and anxieties you may have. Uh, but our household has two very perceptive individuals in it, and it just amplifies the entire situation. So we basically lost a day where my wife and I acted like uh, depression potatoes and essentially spent the day napping in bed and then getting out of bed to snack and then return to bed. So it was really sweet, you know, like a really sad way. But you see it in, if you see it drawn in a four-panel webcomic, it's cute, it's sweet, it's romantic. But then if you see it filmed in an HBO series, you go, oh, I want to die. And it wasn't a bad experience, just very curious that that's something that was psychologically needed. Uh, which consequently meant that I completely lost track of what day it was and missed taking the garbage out on time. So that's what you get. If you indulge your inner fears and problems, you get to be stuck with your trash. I guess that's the, the metaphor here. Anyway, what have I seen? Chucks, very recently, very recently, I watched the lecture by Jaron Lanier, which, you don't know this man, but once you see him, Jaron has a very unique look to him. Uh, it's not a movie, but the lecture was almost two hours long, so I treat it as a movie, basically. And 
I thoroughly encourage it. It begins with the man playing a obscure musical instrument that as he speaks about it, he looks like a little like a goofy Muppet fuck, basically on stage. Uh, comically obese, big long dreads, potato face. But he's a smart dude. I like the way he speaks about what he knows about. He's a technologist, as he says. And he lays out for you how this musical instrument is actually the proto-proto-proto-computer. It, it started here. And then musicians and theorists over time have created programming, and then we're now, now we have Twitter. And him discussing his take on modern information control and treatment was deeply insightful, traumatic also. But it's really fun to watch someone who has these ideas rattling around in their mind consistently, speak about them plainly and openly, but then also venture into new discovery territory as he's talking to the people who he knows this is mostly wasted on. Maybe some go, yeah, man, I'm with you. And the others go, I'm here, and that's a famous person. But uh, hearing the man speak about how companies use data, if you will, and to the extent where we built AIs to do the work, and now they're doing the work so well, we don't know what they're doing, but money's happening, so just do that. Also, just saying things very, very openly and plainly, things like, you realize the word engagement is a sterilized form of the word addiction, right? And it's maybe obvious when you say it, but then you have to notice the part where your thumbs are still moving over the screen. You go, oh, I, I don't feel good about this. But that's, that's no fun. Let's talk about something less controversial. Uh, I got to watch uh, Dave Chappelle's The Closer. How was it? I haven't seen it yet. I found it to be enjoyable. But that's also because I enjoy how the man lays out his stories, his tales, the structures of his jokes. And they're barely jokes anymore. It's curious to me how, as Dave is aging, he has a related but separate trajectory to somebody like George Carlin because I've always distinguished between, not, not always, but I learned to distinguish between comics and comedians. And comics don't generally deepen their material. They say the words, people laugh, they get paid sometimes, life moves on. Comedians really like to think through things and they're basically riffing on stage. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, they get paid. But that's less important than whatever thoughts they're developing through the process of their diction. And this was kind of a bittersweet tone show because Dave feels tired. And he's allowed to because he has done plenty for us. But at the same time, he has more to say. But he doesn't want to talk to us right now to this. He, he would like to take a break here and now, maybe forever. Maybe for a bit. Maybe he's lying. He'll be back again. But I think I, I'd heard the closer attached to the word controversial. Because again, anything short of glowing praise equals the man's a bigot. And watching it, at first I said, oh, I'm going to watch this, honey. Is that okay? She says, yeah, I won't really be listening. And then she got glued in about halfway through. Because the subjects are contemporary. And yeah, there's, there's funny jokes, self-deprecation, good stories, well told. But again, I would not approach this as, make me laugh, Chappelle man. This is instead, yeah, I'm going to listen to this guy talk for a while. And he's going to structure things in a way that's abrasive and grating. And of course, there's a more diplomatic way to say it. That is not the way Dave is going to say it. And I'm reminded of Carlin because of this, because Carlin knew exactly why and how he was saying what he was saying. And he was aware that it's going to scratch some people. So I would say that The Closer is an excellent companion work 
works okay by its own, but works exceptionally well if you've been following Mr. Chappelle over the last 10 years. But, you know, of course, that Davey does, he, he does do the, the funny, dirty words, too. I believe it. I mean, I want to see it, but I just haven't yet. I haven't decided to. I've been busy watching other dumb, silly shit. Oh, this this is definitely not dumb, silly shit. Uh, but, again, I, I'll, I'll say nothing specific outside of this is, it feels like a response. It feels like a, a response video to a response video, but the wordsmith involved is of sufficient quality where you're not worried that this will be cheap or shallow. Speaking of cheap or shallow, though, it's amazing when you take old sound bites by Dave Chappelle and you put them in places they don't belong. For example, the tone of the scene changes immediately if you're playing Alien Isolation, and then every time you're surprised by the Xenomorph, the soundbite, gotcha, bitch, plays. <laughs> it's very, very, feels different. Feels very different. I wouldn't make the game completely different in my eyes. I'd be like, wait a minute. Um, yeah, no, I, I, like I said, I want to see that. I just haven't sat down and taken the time out of it. I've been uh, watching uh, more DC animated films because a lot of them are pretty good, and I wanted to catch up since I haven't seen any in a long time. And they're coming out with a new one, the Justice League, or excuse me, yeah, in, Injustice, excuse me, the new Injustice uh, movie. Wait, the new Injustice movie. Yeah. Has there been any development on the Injustice property from its first printed run to the games to this? Or is it a re, 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 retelling no. of, hey, what if, like, good guys but bad? <laughs> no, so it, it does the first. So you have Injustice year one, year two, and year three. I think there's a year four. I don't know if they go past that. Let me make sure on that. Uh, How crucial is that? How crucial? Because... It, it, well, it goes past. So, like, in certain ones, um, it tells you what happens after year one when... So, like, in, in the uh, Gods Among Us, Injustice God Among Us, a second one, it is based off year two after uh, he uh, Superman fails. Year three goes after that, after he breaks out. And then from there... It continues. Let's see. Yeah, there's more. You're zero, you're one, two, three, four, and five. Uh-huh. But hold on a second. Isn't this the part where we address that injustice deals with parallel Earths like DC always does? Yeah, it's an Elseworld story, essentially. And there's time fuckery? There's plenty of time fuckery. So why do we care? You don't. It wasn't. A, it's not a bad game. Neither are the... Uh, Neither one, neither games are bad. Comic books are pretty well written. I want to see how they do the movie. That's gotcha. just a nice way of seeing it. I, I don't know. I don't you know. You want to 100% watch how very it's be. colorful, beautiful people go through the motions. Uh, essentially, I want to see how they do it because reading a comic book and watching it through a video game is not the same. Who doesn't want to watch, you know, Shazam get his mouth frozen over and then laser beam through his eyes? Some people wouldn't want to, but I'm into that. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 because you have different interpretive mediums, and one is... I, I used to think when I was younger, well, yeah, seeing it in motion is way better than seeing it still in the frame, right? And that's not always the case. Not mm -hmm. at all. You can appreciate the same story told across mediums. I dig that now. 
I just I, I scoff a little bit at okay, I'm pleased to announce our 47th animated DC property. Please welcome Flavor Permutation Gamma of the characters you know. Saving the world. Again. And the bad guy gets away. Again. But hey, here's everyone's favorite Power Girl. Please welcome to the stage Power Girl. Go, go on, honey. Give them a little show. Yeah. No, I, uh, I one that was completely different that I watched was uh, Gotham by Gaslight. That was pretty good. I like that one. I've heard about it. I'd like you to give me a contained impression oh. that makes you think, I like it. So the animation style in the the uh, movie is it, it's toned down slightly different. It's more reminiscent of the Batman, the Brave and the Bold style from the mid 2000s uh, art style. Um, I can't tell you who the voice actors are. I didn't look any of that up. Uh, but essentially what it follows is it's around the eight, late 1880s. Gotham is hosting the World's Fair and Jack the Ripper is on the loose killing people in Gotham. Um, and Bruce Wayne as Batman in the 1880s has to stop Jack the Ripper. Uh, in this process, the first person you see killed, um, is poison Ivy. Poison Ivy in this world is a dancer. She shakes her stuff and essentially she's also a prostitute at the same time, uh, because she sees, runs into Jack in the alleyway and she's like, Hey, I'll, you know, if you pay me enough, I'll, I'll do what you need. And right when he takes her to the alleyway, pulls out a knife and he guts her. Uh, and he gets away with it. And then you slow go on. No, 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 I'm listening. So you slowly find out throughout the whole time that Batman is trying to figure it out. There is a certain club that a high society men of Gotham belong to, uh, Dionysus club. And he finds the lapel pin on poison Ivy, not lapel pin, uh, cuff, uh, Chuck's. Him. Yeah, it's a cuss. It's nice to say. Synopsis. Synopsis. In the end, what you find out is Batman hunts down and he finds out that, you know, about to ruin it for everybody, that Jim Gordon is actually the killer and what he's trying to do is get rid of all uh, harlots and prostitutes in the area because he needs the city clean for the rebranding of Gotham of being a good town. So essentially, in the end, Batman hunts down Jim Gordon to stop him from being Jack the Ripper to save Gotham. But in the end, they burn down Gotham together. Good movie. Short, short brief sentence there uh, to end it. But yeah, no, it's not bad. I would give it a look and watch if you like uh, DC animated movies. So qualifying question. Mm -hmm. Jack the Ripper is a pretty real situation. Yes. And we're doing what's considered to be Victorian London, but DC. That yep. seems utterly incomparable or incompatible with the PG-13 setting. Uh, this, uh, uh, yeah, it does seem incompatible. They pull it off. Um, not a whole lot of blood, guts, or anything in this one. It's not bad, like I said. It, it's worth the watch if you're able to get to it. It's a You'd have to go the invincible route of saying, when you see Poison Ivy, no, not the, the back of her head, neck is barely hanging on, and uh, Jackie was thorough, because it's not just about cleansing the city, it's about sending a message and getting off at the same time. Per yes. Pretty hard. If you're saying, oh, bang, pow, kapow, wow, so hurt. Well, they cut oh. away. You hear a scream. You hear every time someone dies, you just hear them scream. And then it cuts back to them, and they're just laying in a puddle of blood on the ground, dead. So, 
this is for a, a teenage audience or think this is for adults? Uh, I'd say it's late teen, uh, mid, mid to late teens. Yeah, I was aimed at that audience. The comic book is not. The comic book is a little bit more graphic detail, but yeah. And how's the how's the dialogue? Is it does everyone have accents or does no? On Roy, just nope, not man. <laughs> no, no one really has accents at all in this one. Um, the only one that had an accent, I believe, was uh, Bullock, played by John DiMaggio. Uh, okay, okay, yeah. Now, he, at no point, any of this. Have you mentioned Oswald Cobblepot? Nope, he's not in it. How, how the fuck not? He is the foppiest Britishist. I mean, he could be any any early 20th century royalty, really. But the feeling you got from Oswald was that he's from across the pond. He's not, though. But he's, <laughs> he's not the story. He's not. He's not. But again, if you're, if we're just leading into broad strokes, kind of recognizable, let's not talk about what's happening in Whitechapel. Let's not even acknowledge the, the poverty situation. No, no, no. Murders. Murders in town. Hooker's getting dead. Batman's got to save him. I don't see why. Because Batman's got a heart of... Ju- Batman is a fucking industrialist in the age, is he not? Yeah, he's a millionaire, but he grew up in the orphanage until with the the lady who headed it, the sister, what's her name? Sister Leslie. And that's why he takes great care into it, because she's worried about it. Then she gets off. Yeah. I understand that it's Batman. I understand that the reason I want to apply to this, it's breaking the entire operating concept. But if you used to be an orphan, and now you find yourself among the the upper echelon of that particular flavor setting, if not time setting, I think you're just higher goon labor, to be honest. But or, or you wouldn't look backwards. At best, at the very best, you remember where you came from, and so you would open up more orphanages. And then somebody would ask you, "Well, aren't these just like tax havens?" And the response would be, "Well, absolutely, but I still run them good." That that's true. Um, that, that's on team mind though. That's not the setting we're going for. This is DC, damn it. Yeah. And DC is going to play it being serious right up until we cut away. Which, to be fair, not a bad thing. You can definitely amplify uh, the threat and the terror and the suspense of something by not showing it, but being about to show it and then pulling a maneuver where the imagination auto completes it. And of course, the mind can imagine things far more vividly than which what's being portrayed. I also watched uh, Batman Hush the film. Not, I didn't like it as much. Uh, I knew about the comic and I read into the comic. Um, and you slightly get if you played Arkham City, you know slightly about the hush scenario, where Batman's identity gets taken. And it, uh, and this one it, it slightly changes it, but it's still a good story. But I just, I, it wasn't my favorite out of the ones I watched. I would much rather watch Gotham by Gaslight. Why is that? Try and process that. Uh, I like uh, the story to me was a little bit better written out. It was there was a longer lull in Hush than a lo- than in Gotham by Gaslight. There's more stuff going on, so it kept me a little bit more entertained. Uh, and I also Hush made me fall asleep at one point, so I had to pause it and take a nap when I was watching it. I was like, God, this is fucking boring me. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, don't get me wrong, the comic book is a great comic book. It's just for some reason the movie did not add uh, didn't adapt well. That happens sometimes. Yeah. Just stepping back to what you said about Gaslight for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I'm picturing a couple of chimney sweeps on commission from Scotland Yard or pretend Scotland Yard holding up a lantern with the bath logo. They can't project that up in the sky. They're just trying to wobble it above the rooftops going, I hope he sees it. Hire you fucker, hold it up higher. <laughs> uh, I'm guessing that's not what happens, but just, just thinking about how does that translate? The answer, poorly, but funny. As I understand it, Hush is one of those characters that, if you think about it, terrifying. But as portrayed, probably not your favorite villain because they're not a clay monster or made of alligators. But the idea of somebody um, stealing Batman's identity uh, could probably arrange to have Bruce Wayne killed and just live out that life as Bruce Wayne. And then crime stays about the same. And everyone misses their favorite friend in bondage gear with bad ears. But otherwise, they go, oh, that's weird. I guess he retired. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's not a fun comic book. Not really. But as a story, somebody goes, well, I, I can't fight him. And I can't outbid him. Ah, I know what I'll do. I'll ruin him. And then become him. And then we'll be happy. Yeah, that's essentially it. I mean, and then Riddler. Uh, Riddler's the mastermind behind it. So at, at the end of the day, when Riddler. Uh, essentially, they find out he cured himself. He got in the Lazarus pit. And this one, Thomas Elliot dies. And the other one, um, you find out what he does to get back at the Waynes because he wants the money. But I don't know. It's still not, not a great movie. A lot of lulls. And I probably the wrong time I watched it. At the wrong time of night. So I can't be. Yeah. I probably need to go back and rewatch it. I, uh, speaking of comic book movies, uh, I watched part two of the channel FD Signifier's uh, treatise on Kanye West. Very, very interesting stuff to me personally, because it's you know, between the two parts, it's almost three hours of uh, analysis, two and a half. Point being, just I got a little bit more caught up in what I was missing in terms of why this person is being the way they are from the perspective of somebody who speaks from a black American experience. Uh, elaborately and well and cleanly and transparently, it even got me to care a little more about wrestling unexpectedly because the parlance of explanation of who this person is as a performer and a public figure and a little bit of personal information, I really found it to be insightful as to why Mr. West be doing Mr. West and the context of his discography, which, interestingly enough, the album that caught my attention for the first time from Kanye West, who apparently legally no goes by Ye, that's a separate story, uh, was my beautiful dark fantasy. And what's great about that is nobody expected that album, and it sounded not at all like his previous music. But I recognize it as being something that I already enjoy, just pre-installed. I hear it and I go, yeah, I like this, this is good. More of this, please. And the answer is, there is no more of this. The artist is not interested in making more of this stuff. They're on their own journey. And I hadn't even been aware of Kanye West by the time uh, 808s and Heartbreak came out. Which apparently that album was also a big departure from his style, but I just, I didn't have the context. I, I was I was on Opeth at that point, you know? Different phase of my life. Different mm -hmm. kind of music. Experiencing different feelings. But uh, that's that's hard to access, I know. And I know Chuck's just being like, brow, why are you talking about these YouTube videos? No, well, no, because good. I was trying to look at the album. I haven't really heard that uh, album. Which one? My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. You you might dig it. You might hear some things that are familiar because you've heard them from singles and samples and such and such, but 
That one required no introduction to me in terms of context. It wasn't, tell me why this is good. It's, I saw it on a lark, I believe at the time in the library, if you remember what those are. I began listening, and it basically didn't hit pause or stop until it was done. And then I listened to it a second time. It connected as a unfamiliar but relatable experience. So it has an endorsement from a guy that, by the looks of him and the sounds of him, has nothing to do with anything hip-hop but as occasional curiosities. But when lyrics are strung together well, I am paying attention. Okay, you want to hear about, like, a movie thing, right? Okay, no, it's we up can... to you. Movie thing. Uh, because of the immense success of Squid Game, I thought, fuck that shit. How about something else that has been cited as a good thing by everybody at the time and offered no explanation, so... I can sit down and watch it, and my wife joined me. We sat down to watch Parasite. Have you seen Parasite? I've seen the anime. Not quite the same thing. No, you know which one you're talking about. The Korean film that won a lot of awards. Yes, the Korean film that won a lot of awards. Now, do you know anything about it? Uh, I know it's about a maid who's taking, who lives with a family, and her husband lives under the house, and the family's out of town or something like that an interesting thing to say because that creates I don't know if that's something that was given away as a trailer feature no I've watched that, enough videos on it I gotcha okay I I remained on the outside and anything that I watched they spoke about it in very non-spoilery ways but you're here so we'll talk about it uh, the trouble with Parasite is that it's contact of awareness and exposure is basically thing good go see thing and you ask why should i see thing oh my god it's amazing that doesn't tell me anything there are many flavors of make strong impression or it's a it's really it's, it's a humdinger you'll be at the edge of, edge of your seat <laughs> uh there's a great phrase i hate but i love it pay for the whole seat but use only the edge first i'll talk about why i appreciate the movie as a movie not necessarily about its contents the director, whose work I need to look up and see more of, is very patient and economical, but capable in using his visual language. There's not oppressive, artistic, soft focusing all over the place. The camera almost never jerks around, except when it needs to. There's a patience within establishing interior shots, both statically and in motion. The framing is excellent. The color combinations throughout the shots are terrific. When people are speaking, the light hits them in such a way that you get to see their features of their face as they speak. I have a friend who famously says Asian people are the worst actors. I don't know if you want to respond to that. No, I would disagree with them wholeheartedly. But their faces don't move. They're just terrible at acting. I don't know. I mean, it all depends. I mean, have you watched some of those Ugandan films? Does that mean Ugandans are bad actors? No. It just depends on the person. There ain't nobody. I don't think one culture or one specific thing has bad actors. But, but Ugandans have expressive mouths and lips, so when their faces move, you go, oh, I feel emotion. Asians just, it's like anime. They're just, the mouth flap moves, and they blink sometimes, right? I guess. It's it's a wild take. I just always bring it up when I can, because I think, ah, you believe what you're saying, and I don't walk right there with you, but you arrived at that, at that conclusion after a consuming a good amount of Asian media, so that's that's where that's at. Anyway, 
the visual portrayal of everything that happens in the film is a delight to watch, and you want to get scene to scene to see what else can be shown to you, the audience. And I don't think the movie loses that much on second viewing, even if you know where it's going, because it's not just about the twist or the series of twists. It's a pleasure to look at. And that is not a small piece of feature. Uh, in terms of guilty pleasures of movies that are interesting structurally, and they're, they're fun if you don't think about them too hard. Like Chronicles of Riddick is a movie that I still hold noteworthy affection for, even though there's almost nothing there for me in terms of suspense or dialogues or character moments, because I still firmly prefer Pitch Black, and people don't share that opinion with me. Chucks, do you have a, a preference of the three films in that particular cycle? The Chronicles of Riddick? Oh, man. Um... And Pitch Black and Riddick itself. Pitch Black was the first one, right? Pitch Black was, yeah, it it was... Pitch Black, Chronicles of Riddick. And then Riddick. And then Riddick. I haven't seen Riddick. I've seen the you second have. one. No. You have seen because you've seen Pitch Black. <laughs> okay. I'm not fucking with you. He, he made Pitch Black again, but with more money, and this time more wankery over Richard B. Riddick. I mean, my <laughs> wife, my wife despises Pitch Black, one of the worst movies she's ever seen, according to her talking to me. But she adores Riddick. And I thought, that is fucking confusing. Is that because they put a dog in the movie? Was that all it took? They added a doggy, and now better film. <laughs> anyway. I you have, haven't seen three. I have not. Uh, no, uh, Pitch Black, I liked Pitch Black when I was a kid. Chronicles of Riddick, I didn't really enjoy. But now I'm going to have to see fucking Riddick, because uh, that made me laugh, and I need to know what the fuck happens in this movie. That's the exact same, but so good at the same time. Well, budget and time is, is part of the answer. I, if you have the patience and the intent, I would watch them in sequence. Pitch Black, then Chronicles, then Riddick. To yeah. my estimate, without you having seen them, Pitch Black has something going on, and it's a sloppy film, but that's what makes it appealing, is because it's a sloppy film. Because the situation is, it hostile environment, get out. How? There is no hope. There's one hope. Okay. Well, we don't all fit on this ship, so what are we going to do about this? Don't worry! <laughs> the situation will provide. But it's tense, and it's exotic, and uh, Claudia Black is there. Uh, at first together, and then apart. Uh, Chronicles of Riddick is Vin Diesel telling the audience how cool this D&D character is, over and over. And there's a place in your heart for that. In fact, the DC animated audience will love the fuck out of Chronicles of Verdict because it is juvenile nonsense in sort of the best, most slenderous way. But the trouble is, while money was definitely offered and Carl Urban is in the movie, it's not that fun to watch because you see what they're going for, it just doesn't quite reach it. At least to me, because the bombast of a galactic adventure where... Uh, a convicted murderer who escaped Butcher Bay turns out to be a legendary lost scion of a race that combated the half to there's there's a lot of shit. It sounds really impressive if you if you're talking to somebody who loves anime, because oh my goodness, we can talk about called attacks all day long. But it's also not a bad film. It's just stuffy and clumsy. If you're in, you're in, but just watching it on its own, kind of tricky. At the same time, you could ostensibly watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy, any one of them, 
and not try to think about it too hard because I, I was you know, I was 15 years old once, and I watched those films when they were new, and I loved them for the visual splendor, and I never attached any weight or politics to anything. It was just yeah, uh, shiny sword people marching in one direction to drop off some jewelry, I guess. I I enjoy it a lot more now because the weight and the context makes more sense. But at the time, you could just have disposable characters. I mean, elf, dwarf, bigots. Great. Cast established. <laughs> you can't forget the bigot. Yeah. Don't worry. He won't, he won't let you forget about him. Maybe it's a her. Who knows? Anyway, uh, Hugo Weaving was there. Uh, yeah. Hacks already. Kicking so, helmets. What a... <laughs> that's... No. But I like that you did that. Oh, no, right. That's... Let... Uh... That's Viggo Mortensen. I'm sorry, Hugo Weaving, different yeah. guy. Yep. <laughs> no. I guess I'm he would be kicking. His his yeah. character in Hacksaw Ridge, I guess, was kicking helmets back in uh, his you know World War One days, trying to get him out the way. He was really upset about his friend's ruined suit. Yeah, it, it's tearjerker. So we're gonna trace it back to Parasite because I know I like to go in these uh, spiderweb conversations. The visual value, I think, has been underscored here. It's, it's good to look at. Additionally, since I did spend an unhealthy amount of time in sequence playing the Yakuza games, I'm aware that Yakuza are Japanese games and Parasite is South Korea. I understand this. But there are certain shared elements among neighboring cultures and how they design and build their cities. And both the the main environment of the film and the other environments of the film felt weirdly connected to times spent in the places within Yakuza because in those games, if you play them, you will hit rough parts of town that are still, they're human, they're lived in. It's not like it's just a complete dumpster fire. It's just some places don't get all the money they need and the people deal anyway. And then you hit these private family compounds that are lavish and pompous, and you think, well, all I'm going to be doing here is punching dudes, but damn, this a lot of money is sitting in this building. If only that could be allocated elsewhere. That's not how economies work. Still, I felt sort of a pre-installed nostalgia for the people and events we're going to be seeing, because like the Yakuza games, the conversation about class disparity is a pretty serious one. But it's shown in a nuanced way. Again, a human way, which I appreciate. And, of course, that brings us to the structure of the film. Uh, Chucks, you, you, are you okay with me talking about this, or do you want me to... No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, so I'm going to give stuff away. Doesn't matter. Still worth watching. Why? Because capable people wrote, produced, directed this, and capable actors hit their beats and went through their lines... And it's not a complicated story. The complications are in the implications, what's not said to you out loud. So we have a four-member family, a mama, a papa, a son, and a daughter. The parents look 40-something-ish. The kids look 20 or damn near there, if that makes sense. They appear to be broke as shit. They are living in a half-basement apartment. And the opening moments of the film are them looking for ways to skim off of free Wi-Fi. Because their lives are connected in such a way that if they can squeeze by, they'll do it. 
they're running legitimate grifts, if that makes sense. Getting paid to make pizza boxes for a local chain because somebody snagged a job, etc. So they're, 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 they're skating by, but they're having to huddle around a small table, and the father has to say, oh, thank goodness that we're united here today with this, this feast of a meal that basically looks like some mineral water and a couple of cups of chicken noodle soup. So it's not desperation, but it's really close. And everyone seems reasonably comfortable in their accommodations. The, the, the camera gets to show you kind of what that apartment looks like. And again, it's not a nightmare, but it ain't good. For, it's not good. Then through fortune and chance, social connection, because these are the kind of people who uh, they are not stupid. They're very, very clever. They're very crafty. And they're looking for ways to get up in the world however they can. Next, next skim, next grift. Uh, a friend of the sun says, yeah, you know, I'm tutoring this girl for this rich family in English. And uh, I really want to get with this girl. Serious, I'm going to ask her out, but when she's older. So um, I got some other things I need to do. You look like you need the help. Would you like to be her tutor? And our protagonist, our kid, says, I mean, I, I'm not sure why you're giving this up, but it sounds fun for me. Yeah, yeah, you, just, you have to make sure that you're from a prestigious family because these people, they got money. So we get to see that our kids and our main family, they got skills. One of them being forging documents. But they're also good at putting on personas and airs. So when the son shows up for the interview in this, again, compound, this concrete, hidden away courtyard in the middle of a hillside forest, and the insides of the house are very rectangular, very angular, but it's a gorgeous house. The interview itself is basically the the wife of the rich family saying, I don't care about paperwork, I care about who you are. So I'm going to sit in on the lesson. And she seems really firm and really stiff. But then moments before when the interview takes place, the housekeeper has to, she gently tries to wake up the mother who's sitting at a patio on the outside table. And then she basically claps her hands right next to her. So we see that these people are, are barely functional, but they got money, so it's okay. The cast of characters we see in this film are fairly intimate. There's the, the, the broke family, the wealthy family, and the housekeeper. Briefly, also the wealthy family's driver. You begin to have a... Um, is it a cuckoo bird, Chucks, that pushes the eggs out of the nest of the other birds? Oh, there's a couple birds that are like that, but I believe so. Yeah, so the, the, the son gets in, because he knows English fairly well, and the mother sees that he's capable. And... Uh, Basically, the son, after this, he, he gets to show up a few times a week for a couple hours at a time. He's just bringing steady money home. They talk about it. And he notices there's art in the house. And he says, you know, wealthy lady, uh, I know someone who, by reference, is an art specialist. And, uh, you know, I think she's actually in town and might be available. Would you like to meet her? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So he sets up an interview and a connection and a referral for his sister, who gets to pretend that she's an art therapist. Not the rapist, Chuck. Don't, please don't go there. <laughs> or 200, even. Anyway, the sister gets in, and the sister's now attached to the son of the wealthy family, who seems a little bit off. Not stupid, but there's something bothering him. 
And so through faking her way, through, through scamming the wealthy woman, the daughter of the broke family is now in. She gets to portray herself as an, an educated person of eruditic culture. And she's very classy. And oh, by the way, that driver, you know, that driver that drives the, the wealthy man around, mm-hmm. he makes at the daughter. And she just she shuts him down. She's not defenseless. He just makes a pass at her. And she thinks about it and thinks, yeah, fuck this guy. We, we, can, we can figure something out here. So the daughter drops off her panties in the car, hidden in a findable place, which the wealthy father finds. And he brings this up to the wealthy wife. He says, can you believe that our driver is banging bitches in the car? The wife says, that's impossible. How sick, how desperate. And the father says, it's not even that. It's He could do it in the front seat of the passenger seat. Why does he have to fuck in my seat in the back? Does it give him pleasure to dribble his semen all over where a wealthy man sits? Honey, we have to get rid of him. We will, we will. I'll make up a generic excuse. But the dude keeps the panties, just saying. Well, now the family is uh, in need of a new driver. And the art therapist says, you know, my family used to have this reliable driver, very reliable, 35 years experience driving people. So the broke dad and the son get to go to Ben's dealerships and sit in the car and sort of look around and get the lay of the land. Okay, well, this knob is here and this button's here. Yeah, 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 we're, we're still browsing. Okay, this is the seat. So the dad gets to show up and a driver's get up as the new driver of the wealthy family. And he looks personable and comforting and he drives well he knows how to corner it's because the wealthy family is paying attention they're vetting these people but the poor people are suckering them just well enough to not arouse any suspicion so the audience begins to root for the broadcast family because they're doing it they're they're scamming the wealthy good for them fantastic well we still have one person not bringing an income oh and by the way if this wasn't obvious while at work the poor family have to pretend they don't know each other just you know, just to make that clear. Yeah, you'd assume so. So now the mama, well, it becomes known to the wealthy daughter, who likes peaches, that there are no peaches in the house. There are no peaches in the house because the housekeeper is deathly allergic to peaches. Finding this out, the family grifts away to get her to get a reaction bad enough that she has to go to the hospital where. The broke-ass father follows her incognito and takes a selfie with the housekeeper in the frame and brings it up to the missus, the, um, the madam, the wealthy wife, and says, oh, did, did you know? Did you know that she's sick? Oh, goodness, what's happening to her? Well, I didn't mean to eavesdrop. I was taking a selfie for my wife, and she happened to be here, and I heard her. She's got tuberculosis. Tuberculosis? That's preposterous. Is that still a thing that happens? And as this conversation is taking place... You get to see cuts back to the poor family rehearsing this entire material speech with a tightly written script at home. So the father just delivers the lines to convince the wealthy wife that that's what's happening. Moreover, as the broke dad chauffeur drives the wealthy wife back to the compound house, he informs the broke daughter, the art therapist, that they're on the way. So she dumps some peach shavings, just flicks them in the air around the housekeeper unnoticed just soon enough that as the wealthy wife comes back home, the therapist, uh, sorry, the housekeeper is running away to conceal the fact that she's having a breakout. 
But she dropped the tissue in the, in the trash bin, and then the broke dad, being a cunning bastard that he is, uh, uses a little sauce packet discreetly to dribble some red onto the tissue, and then he shows the tissue to the wealthy wife, and it's over. The, the housekeeper's got tuberculosis, she's been hacking and spitting and everything, using a lot of H words, uh, breathing and everything. She's gotta go. We gotta go. We, we can't have that sickness in the house. So now the quartet is complete. The entire broke-ass family is working in the wealthy house discreetly. But they all came through by, through by referrals, and they're all playing their roles, and now the, the household has quadrupled its income. Actually, more than that. And for a happy moment, the grift is happening. Then the wealthy family takes a vacation. They have to go because the son likes camping. He's going to be a scout. And they, they drive off. So as you might imagine, the arrangement is that the housekeeper gets to watch the house. But in reality, broke-ass family get all get on the house, get the food together, and have themselves a feast. And there's a lot of social elements that happen within that. We get to know the family a little bit better when they're not being completely crushed down by being short of supplies. But the idea is that the audience is watching with bated breath. Like, this is a really happy moment, and something's going to fuck it up. I just know something's going to fuck it up. Because, well, the wealthy family's going to come home early, right? And see them all just sprawled out over the couches, drinking all the nice whiskey and tequila, and snacking on things. Well, Chucks, that's, the movie is more clever than that. Do you want to guess what happens next? Um, somebody else shows up, not the family. You're right. And they kill her. Well, interesting you say that, but no. Somebody else shows up. It's the old housekeeper, the previous one. The previous housekeeper shows back up at the door and she rings the bell. And the family's very hesitant because no one's supposed to know that they're here, A, and B, you know, they're a family. So tense and panic they say well mama you're you're the housekeeper now so you go answer the button see what's going on i chose to preface this by saying that this house is noteworthy because it was built by a famous architect uh whom the previous housekeeper also served then the architect moved away housekeeper stayed so she has been well vetted this woman is very capable of running the household uh so her being ousted seems kind of unfair so she gets herself back in the house by saying, oh, you know, um, you're, you're my successor, right? Absolutely. Over the intercom, there should be a picture with the three doggies. And there is. Yeah, I just, I just left something in, in, in the basement. I just left something in the basement, and I need to get it. So just, I'll just be a minute. Well, it'd be kind of awkward if, if she didn't get let in. So the old housekeeper is let back in. And we see that her face has been beat to shit. But she's very smiley and very casual. Very, oh, yeah, please, I just, I just got to get in there. And the movie begins to pivot at a breakneck pace because the housekeeper, surreptitiously, the old one, runs down to the basement. And the mother doesn't follow her. That's right. Her, her husband's downstairs in the basement. We don't, we don't know that yet. <laughs> I, but... I knew it was something like that. I was like, damn it, that's right. Well, you're guessing ahead, and yes, structurally speaking, you're correct, but that raises a whole lot of questions, because he's not in the basement. Otherwise, that would have been known about. No, 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 no. This is South Korea, sir. South Korea's got a neighbor. It used to be one country, not anymore. North Korea. And North Korea got missiles. So, because of that, 
the wealthy took certain precautions, and it turns out that this house comes installed with a fallout bunker. And uh, that this never came up before. But lo and behold, in the basement, the housekeeper is found by the mother, because we're still pretending she's only here. She's sort of wedged between the wall and a pantry shelf, trying to press it open. We saw this pantry shelf before because of uh, it stores, uh, what's it, not, not juniper juice, but basically something fermented. Good for your tum-tum, vinegar. There's a door, and the, the old housekeeper runs down the door. Like, bookshelf slides aside, and a big heavy metal door is there as a, as a bracer, screaming, my honey, my husband. So now the audience goes, wait, fuck, there's somebody down there? How long has this been going on? And the family follows down surreptitiously. And sure enough, there's a man down there, but apparently the bookcase got wedged, so it wouldn't open correctly. He couldn't get out. He was stuck there for a few days at the very least. So the man's not in great shape. Now, what I really enjoy as I'm describing this movie to you is the tension of what happens next and the pivot of the entire situation. Granted, this movie can't happen if it's super modern because there'd be cameras everywhere because people love their nest public surveillance tools because it's 1984 over here. But we have to let that conceit go because the movie is still technology conscious. As the mother of the poor family makes her way down to the fallout shelter and she witnesses the housekeeper and her husband, we get to see all kinds of things that this is a lived-in space that the man's been here for a while. And it's revealed that the reason this is happening is because the man has crippling loan shark debts. These people will kill him, or get the money, or do both, actually. But he's been welching on them. Hence, when the housekeeper left the compound and went out into the world unsolicited, she got found and beaten up on loan sharks, most likely. This is never said explicitly, but that may explain the damaged face. She's, no, sir, she didn't get beat up by loan sharks. She got beat up by the street sharks. Yeah, and live to tell the tale. Yeah. It's only because, only because the biker mice from Mars intervened. Indeed. And then the VR troopers started intervening with them, and then Big Bag Beetleboards. Okay, enough of the 90 references here. You can go on. I'm Saban! <laughs> for, a, for just a couple of glorious moments, the housekeeper and the husband, more so the housekeeper because the husband's kind of out of it. He's very hungry. She pleads. She says, just let us go. Just We'll, we'll, we'll just get out of here, you know, or, or let us stay if you can, but, you know, do our little secret. Don't even worry about it. Just got to get my husband. We can work this out. Please don't say anything. But uh, because the stairs down to the bunker have a dog leg and no railing, very important, the family who's been waiting around the corner, very, very curious, slip, and all of them tumble down into the hallway where the housekeeper and the husband can see. Uh, the housekeeper whips out a phone and records them. And says, yeah, guess what? Now that this shit's happening, I can send a text to the family, the rich family, and this is over. So we can all go to jail, or you do what I say. And I found that twist to be delicious, because that's kind of how, how it works nowadays. It's everyone is filming, filming everyone else, saying, oh yeah, oh yeah, well I got evidence, this is, this is legally defensible in court now. And it's this kind of really ugly situation. But power shift happened so drastically and you kind of acknowledge that that's that's how it would go. Anyway so now 
the housekeeper and her husband have taken the broadcast family hostage, and they're literally sitting on their knees with their hands up while the husband and the wife have a little R&R, just like the broadcast family was doing. But now they're getting to stretch their legs and feel a little better about how they're doing in their life. And it was going so well, except the husband, the bunker husband, goes off into a minor memory about how they themselves bonded in this house. And they would have to live sneakily outside of the actual tenant's knowledge because the husband is not in the books. He doesn't exist anywhere because of the debts. But they shared this moment of how the house meant something to them in their time there. And that distraction is just long enough for one of the family members to charge and begin wrestling for the phone. And it's, um, it's a mess. It's six people, apes, with, apes in a ball, just duking it out, fighting for a phone where one button press might mean disaster for everyone. And in that moment, in that entire tussle, as people chase each other down the bunker, Phone call comes in. The woman acting as the housekeeper has to answer the phone call while the family restrains the others, gagging them to make sure that no ambient noise is in the background. Turns out the rich family's coming back. Camping didn't go over very well, so they're just going to sit it out at home. Also, can you get the water boiling for this dish? We really want this dish prepared. So what follows is a suffocating, we only have eight minutes frantic sequence of attempting to clean up the mess because in no way was the whole family over it was just the housekeeper right and in no way is there a man living in the basement right so watching them frantically clean up the situation the best they can is uh, it's a very tense sequence chucks me describing it does not take anything away from the oh fuck mom's coming feeling that you know very much or something similar you know yeah. very much in your in your gut and it's not over because somebody has to try and gag and restrain the folks that are liable to make some noise and make the whole lie collapse in that they're a bunker also where do we put the family so in the process of all this and I'm going to leave a few things out the old housekeeper and the husband are injured. The broke family are trying to dodge everyone in the house, meaning the wealthy husband, the wealthy wife, the wealthy daughter, and the wealthy son. And then the, the wealthy son decides he wants to set up a tent in the outside, in the yard. And I'll just describe that it's a, the, the living room where everyone is hanging out merrily like a half an hour ago. It's a large living room with an enormous sectional couch and Beautiful open windows that face the yard they have in their property. Well, that's the, that's the yard the son wants to hang out in and set up a tent. And then the parents decide, the wealthy parents, that they want to sleep on the couch so they can see their son, so they can have, they just make sure that nothing goes wrong. They can watch over their kid. And, <laughs> and the three family members, of course, not supposed to be there, the broke family, family members, are uh, neatly laying underneath the large table, feet away from the wealthy family, and they have to keep quiet. Again, I don't know if the word tension is something that you understand just by being said, but the feeling of don't make a noise, nobody fart, etc., 
oh no, they're going to sleep here. What do we do? That's kind of special. And on top of this, he starts throwing in insults like, oh, you know, that's weird. I can smell a smell like that smell that comes off the driver that we hired. You know, that smell. Not like an old man smell, but like, yeah, it's not great. Yeah. I respect him because he, you know, he never crosses the line, but that smell crosses the line. So talking shit about the guy who's five feet from you, <laughs> who is not in a position to do anything about it, um, that's, that's, that's special. And then the wealthy family decide they want to fuck uh, on the couch. Well, not, nothing explicit. The this whole family. Whole family. No, just, just, just the husband and the wife. He, okay. he gets a little randy. So again, just go ahead and try and keep still with that happening. Don't make a noise. I don't care if you're uncomfortable. Just if you want to survive this, then you're just going to sit there. It's deliciously tense because of the asymmetrical pressures assigned to the people. Because the the, the poor mom, she can't do anything. She can't tell, hey, come on, wealthy guys, let's, 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 let's go off the couch and move. No, our son's out there. So I could stop there. I'll stop there. I described <laughs> about half of the movie. And at the very least, maybe two-thirds, what that reveals to you is there are cons within cons within cons happening here. So you knowing there's a husband in the basement does nothing to resolve the husband being in the basement, the old keeper, the poor family, the class disparity, everyone kind of lying to each other. Chucks, it's a fantastic watch. Because it doesn't really even follow a three-act structure. It's like four to five. And they're all worth watching because if you're paying attention, the commentary is everywhere. The features are good. The food looks delicious. Peaches will kill you. And you kind of start wondering about how did these people end up with the money? I mean, they're not too dumb to live, but there's something off here. And of course, for a while, you root for the, for the broke-ass family because, hey, you know, little guy's doing it. But you also consider, oh no, they're just vicious animals that will do whatever it takes to get ahead. Hmm. So, uh, what would you what would you have to say about my retelling here, Chucks? Uh, from what I've seen, it's pretty accurate. I don't know the whole whole film, but uh, I need to sit down and watch it one day. I was not expecting to be disappointed. I was not disappointed. I'm pleased. I was able to enjoy it for my own purposes, for my reasons. They're distinct from the general praise it receives. I'm curious about the crowd's responses individually because you're it's gonna hit you differently than it's gonna hit me. You're 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 a all American fella. So your sensibilities are not the same as mine. No. And either one of us are Korean. So again, we're missing some local cultural flavor that probably is extra densely woven into everything that's happening. I remember people really praising, I still haven't seen it, but they say, oh my gosh, Crazy Rich Asians, it's so good. Yeah, they're making a sequel I, to that. I don't dispute its goodness. I'm not sure what there is for me there, considering we get to see opulence and poverty together in this film. And they dance together so well that just burying the audience in, no guys, but the wealthy have problems too. It's like my big fat Greek wedding, but everything actually has electricity. I'm kidding. Bad example. All right, hold on one second here. We're back. Oh, hey there. Indeed. All so, right. the reputation stands. It's not 
ah, it's it, it's worth the praise, but my praise would be very careful. I wouldn't say, excuse me, just go see it, just go see it. No, I'd say it is a tense family drama with people who are in economically depressed situations. You know, they're trying to make ends meet, and they gain an opportunity to ingratiate themselves to a higher class of well-paid people. And so this is the adventure of them looking for a way to work the system to their advantage. And you get to have a lot of interpersonal attention. And this is a study of how people portray themselves to each other. Because uh, even, even the moment where the rich dad, uh, Mr. Kiyosaki, um, he gets to act all indignant to his wife saying, can you believe that? What kind of woman forgets her panties in a car? Like an earring or some hair, sure, but panties? Ah, I can't believe some people. And then when Rich Dad is diddling his wife on the couch, he's like, yeah, do you still have those panties? Fucking go put the panties on, yeah. Okay, <laughs> dude. So when you're being observed, it's not cool to like some things. But then in the privacy of your uh, mansion, oh, actually, I'm into the same shit everybody else is, huh? Okay, good, good. Very humanizing moment. I appreciate that. Ask me about the light sensor. What about the light sensor? I'm telling you, go watch the movie. Oh, okay. It's <laughs> it, the twists that arrive. Again, I, I've told you a good amount of what happens. That doesn't touch the experience of being there and seeing it portrayed. Because once again, this is not a what you would call a Shyamalama Ding Dong situation, which completely disrespects M Night's work. It's not just about, ha-ha, now I'm clever because I know what happens. No. As I've spent some time explaining, the movie is a pleasure to watch. Everything is filmed well. It's paced fantastically. It doesn't stay over long. And you get just enough local flavor to go, yeah, okay, I can see how this could scale with my life experience. It's great. It's, it's terrific. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell someone, just go watch it openly. But that's me, Chucks. You know me well enough at this point. Yeah. No, I get you. You might, you might say, yeah, just go fuck a watch. It's got awards and shit. Yeah, uh -huh. I wouldn't say just because of awards. I would be like, yeah, the story's okay. Um, but there is a show I want to talk to you about. A couple shows that... Um, one, though, being Phantasmagoria. Magorius? I don't know uh, how to pronounce it. It is... Uh, it's on HBO Max. Because like I said, I've been watching a lot of shit on HBO Max. And it's a uh, folklore... It's a show about folklore in the Latin American community, even though a lot of them can be used and are, well, in English, English world speaking, they have the same kind of folklore that goes along with it, minus a couple of them. Uh, it's a TV show, and I, I like the art direction it took on it. Um, yeah, I about El Chupanibre. <laughs> uh, no, not El Chupanibre. That's... Okay. That is, a good that is a good episode, though. So a couple of the episodes, uh, I started watching it, and I couldn't figure out how to get the subtitles on, so trying to watch something in Spanish is really hard when you don't know any Spanish. Um, but You know Spanish. You say, yeah, you know, see, si, you know, taco. I know, donde esta la biblioteca. That's actually, it's, it's la biblioteca, but that's beside the la, point. What is it? The biblioteca. The biblioteca. She has a feminine gender, so it's a la biblioteca, not el biblioteca. La biblioteca. But it's important to interject this here, since we talked about Chappelle's special previously. Um, in Spanish, there are two genders, and in Russian and French and certain others, even in German, 
uh, there are three. So uh, automatically, Spanish are transphobic. <laughs> oh, no. According to logic. Yeah, uh, no, but they uh, they did the uh, they did one on Elsa Bone, Elsa Bone. Um, the ghost of Power Ranger fame. Yes, uh, Elsa Bond, the whistler, who follows you and he whistles and he hunts you down and essentially tries killing you. Carries a bag, has a long black hat. Uh, neat, neat concepts. Uh, I enjoy folklore along with uh, mythology, but it also brought me back to watching lore in another show on HBO called Folklore about Asian horse. It's Asian animated horror stories uh, based on their folklore, also. And do these even compare to the terror of Spring Heel Jack or the Jackalope? The Jackalope? The terrifying Jackalope with its antlers and furry feet. Well, I Chucks, for a second, think about an animal that has immense propulsive properties and can gore you. I don't think... I, would, I wouldn't dismiss the horny rabbit quite so easily. Um, I would. Because knowing rabbits, you'd probably run away. Be like, oh no, fuck this. Yeah, because those rabbits don't have a taste for blood like the ones with stab knives on their head do. Yeah, that's a good Different point. animals. Different animals. <laughs> oh, they look similar. Yeah, like a house pig and a boar are the exact same thing. But one will fuck you up. Well, the pig will too if you let it. Yeah, if you uh, let it. Way but that's that's kind of a point. But it's a it's a cuddly bunny. Yeah, it's because it can lick its uh, fur clean of the blood later when it's done with you. Anyway, back to the show about folklore of the uh, Mexican and Michoacan. Um, An Asian. Yeah, so folklore bases it. Excuse me, I said animated. I meant to say anthology. Folklore is an anthology series based out of multiple countries and their stories behind it. I haven't watched an episode yet, but Phantasmagorious, uh, if you want to look it up, um, I enjoyed the art style, and that's what caught my eye. Um, I watched the first couple episodes, but when I'm look, scrolling through, like the Whistler, I know of that one, the Ghost Passenger, that's a very common one here in the States. Uh, <laughs> Chupacabras, uh, I have no clue what the Sonoy is, Cursed Twins, uh, Ouija Boards, yeah, I mean, there's a ton of them that translate even to English. But uh, I think the art style is completely unique. And with it being something that's based on a different culture, it's something that you know I'm going to probably tend to watch and watch all the way through. Um, I just had to figure out my subtitles. But I watched the first two episodes last night, and I quite enjoyed it. And well, you could always just learn the language spontaneously. I, I could do that. Like, I keep telling myself I'm going to finish learning Russian, and I still haven't. It's only been, like, what, five years? There's time. Yeah, there's time. There's always time. Uh, you but, the first couple episodes. Yeah. So I will I will find a way to get the subtitles on. But that brings me back to another show called Lore, which is also a podcast. Which just talks about creepy, weird shit in history. And uh, it is done by a guy named Aaron Mankey. And every time I hear his last name, all I can think of is the Pokemon. Huh. Okay. But yeah. I'm sure related. Oh yeah, completely, hundred percent. He's just like a, a two foot tall puffball with jacked arms that throws poo at you all the time, hundred uh, percent. But the TV show follows certain things in the past that have happened. Um, the season two started out with the uh, Burke and Hare, which became famous because one of the men was used. I believe they used a skeleton and studied him, and now he's at a 
high-end medical college in England. Um, and they go through Elizabeth Bathory. Uh, the what's uh, There's a werewolf incident in France. Yeah, the Beast Within. Uh, excuse me, Bedburg, Germany. So they go through all these situations and all these things in the past, and it just happened to be me wanting me to watch it again. Uh, so I'm going to go through that, and that's on Amazon. I have, don't know if you've ever seen any either one of these, any of the three shows yet. I have not, because I'm also dealing with subjects that I don't find to be co very compelling, which oh. is spoopy stuff. Woo! I know it's October. I understand this. Yeah. But it, it is October, but so, sometimes it connects, but a lot of the time, weirdly, I would rather come up with sci-fi things instead of I don't understand how necroplasm works or how ghosts and shit work, but I want to be creeped out by it anyway. That's tricky for me. No, Actually, okay. an example, I'd like to bring this to your attention. Uh, one of the trailers that was on the disc for Parasite, because I still play things with hard media whenever I can. I mean, we partake in the digitals too, but I like to build the library you know, for when the service runs out. There was a horror film, or at least a thriller, called The Lodge, a very generic name, that did actually catch my attention. But because it's it's a spoopy story about being stuck in a house. But the key difference is, it's not that I just want to be a realist. There's no invention of a malicious ancient spirit that's gone undocumented for a long enough time and the structure is still standing, people keep coming in and dying. The structure of the film is that of a psychological thriller and a slasher, very much. Premise is fairly simple. New mom stuck with new kids. Because, you know, different, different relationship. And they're isolated. And it's tense. And one of the three of them might be a killer. Hard to say. But most of the imagery and the tension happens from perception. It's happening in our mind. Or is it though? Because we have different testimonies based on what the character sees, what's shown on screen, and what the other characters are telling her about what she's doing. So, I'm not saying that dementia is sexier than werewolves, but I'm more interested in that story than artificially disempowered heroes that have to work on the rules that we're not told as an audience. It just seems cheaper, you know? Yeah, no, it makes sense. I get you. If you like the shit, please enjoy it. But I'm not going to have as favorable things to say. Go, oh, oh yeah, it's amazing. Instead, it's, okay, so that's a compromise. That's a conceit. That's an artificial difficulty. Okay, that, well, all right. Let's see how this lands. Versus, oh, my gosh, it was so scared. It was amazing. I wouldn't say, and nothing's ever been like, oh, it's so scary. It's amazing. I've never had that hit before. Like, there are good horror films. Like, don't be wrong. The original Friday the 13th, pretty good. Uh, Halloween, pretty good. But, you know, normally the first in every series of slasher films are pretty good or horror films are really good. Then it just goes to shit because people try to... They keep trying to reinvent the wheel and it keeps fucking it up. I think I just figured out why Americans, modern Americans, love horror movies. Why? This is just an opinion take. Um... It rhymes with buy war bonds. That doesn't make any sense. Why are you saying that? Yeah, I'm kind of uh, I'm like, well, I'm trying to figure it out here. The population scared and provide them with solutions. I think it's the same energy, channeling the same stuff. Because be. 
horror entertainment is popular. I mean, world world over, but not in all societies. Uh, Asian horror made for Asians has a distinct flavor than the Amityville horror or the haunt again, Michigan or don't go to Flint. <laughs> w- whatever, right? Oh, I'm oh. taking Michigan. I like that. Someone's got to make that now. It's And again, it, people ask me before, hey, uh, Brow, what's your favorite horror movie? For a long time, my answer was, oh, easy, The Corporation. Like, that documentary is probably my favorite horror movie because it actually scares me. The Corporation? I've never heard of The Corporation. Oh, let, let me look it up for you. Maybe I can find it. Uh, the Corporation documentary. 2003. So it's uh, it's woefully out of date, but it still holds up. Uh, it's almost three hours. And again, if you were to watch it, it's not going to give you the ah, jump scare feeling. It's this just gradual pressure as your heart falls into your stomach and then your balls explode. And this is... I, I think why I appreciate this is because it came out in a time where there were fewer filler documentaries, that they're not just made on the subject of uh, entertainment. Because you've watched those. Entertainment documentaries offer no real answers or educational material, but they're structured like you feel like you're being smarter. Mm, You're learning something today, yes. I want to watch a movie about Jacques Cousteau. I'm not really interested in, oh, the terrors in the deep, a scientific investigation. So... As <clears throat> snarky as it is to watch uh, poorly aged Mr. Myers movies, damn, we got his name for a second. Like Bowling for Columbine and uh, Capitalism, a Love Story, etc. Those Moore. are the. Oh, that's the one. It's they're insightful from a from a very cynical perspective, and they're very biased and agenda laden. I get that. Corporation, it 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 it, it still touches me in a way. And again, this is before the explosion of social media infrastructure, but the logic hasn't changed. So that's why I have a hard time when somebody says, are you going to watch the Creepy Haunted Doll movie? Unless the Creepy Haunted Doll is also the CEO of a company. No, I'm not going to watch it. That would be a hell of a plot twist. Go through the whole film and I was like, oh God, we got to get to the CEO. Are you fucking kidding me? It's a Raggedy Ann doll. But it's possessed by a demon. <laughs> no, it's not. It just it just decided it wanted to be the market leader in whatever it's doing. It's not possessed at all. It's just it it has been. It 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 has become animated. It it tasted capitalism and it wanted more and it succeeded. And the people involved in the power structures that made this possible are so deluded they forget the part that it's not a human being. It just makes money good enough. Put her on the throne. It's uh. I'm always kind of I'm kind of curious about that. Like, how can we never see a film like where de- demons always possess something? I know you don't like horror films, but if you watch horror films, it's always like, oh god, the demon possessed a little girl from like small town Iowa. Like, what's what's the whole point of that? Why does it like possess the CEO of like Hasbro? Well, he just passed, so let me change the company up, like IBM or some big name company like Microsoft, and be like, you know what? I'm gonna be the baddest motherfucker of them all. I'm gonna wipe out the whole world because I'm gonna fuck everything up because I run Microsoft. But instead. It like kidnaps little Cindy Lou Who over here, and it's like, oh god, it's so terrifying. Like, no, not really. Imagine a demon taking over a goddamn Fortune 500 company and then fucking everything up because of that. That's some scary shit. 
It is, but you're addressing a very important point. It is far more relatable if whoever is being possessed is helpless. Not a lot of boys being possessed, except for that one, that the famous Damien. Mostly, it's going to be girls. And we have to address what the possession itself is, what a demon even is, because the lesser-known golden compass might tell you, yeah, that word means something else, and it isn't explicitly, innately a bad thing. It's another presence. Then we're going back into metaphors of what that presence might be. Is it reflective of something different within you, psychologically, or a mood swing, or just being hangry? Or is it a convenient thing that we can moralize about based on Abrahamic belief structures and say, oh, the demons made me do it? But anytime it's a good thing, and divinely inspired, weirdly enough. So, if you were to have... <laughs> well, you do have movies like Maximum Overdrive, where the evil demon cloud made machinery possessed, which is a lot cheekier, and it, it moralizes it in different directions. But if you were to possess a person of influence, then the commentary might be closer to they live, or it's not even commentary at all. It's just the poor shaking their their fists up at the wealthy and the wealthy not really even noticing. Like, eh, who cares? End of the day, you're still got a clock in and out. I don't. Yep, I'm always on the clock, bitches, and I make all the money. Yeah. I mean, I'm not any happier than any one of you, but I do have nice things. And opportunities to de-stress in a wholly different fashion. Indeed. Yeah, well, fucking, I got scratch tickets and Swisher Sweets. <laughs> and and Hennessy. Not, Hennessy. And I'm a season ticket holder, so three games out of the year, we get to have a booth. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, wait. Is it football? It, uh, what's, what's a not rude way to say that? Fuck it. What's the poorest appeal sport? Baseball, because the average ticket is $26. No, but but is that what the poor people actually enjoy the most? Uh, the most watched sport here in America is American football. Oh, there you go. Football is it. Football it is. Yeah, because those tickets are going to cost you like roughly like $25,000 a game for like box seat up top. Or if you want to get like... I think like right up on the field and you say you don't get a box seat, which is like, Oh, you get a TV in there with like catered food and shit. Um, I believe front row seats for season ticket holders are close to like, I think for Seattle, if I remember correctly being told it was like six, seven grand or some shit like that. But you get to watch eight games a year, not three. Oh, thank goodness. The savings are prorated in such a way that I, I mean, I'm giddy with excitement. <laughs> it's all, it's almost only a thousand dollars a ticket. <laughs> it's live entertainment streamed to you through a screen adjacent to the thing that's happening that you can't see. Correct. So you know what this reminds Wheel and deal. That's what most of those are used for. I know, but that's again, forest trees, no relationship. Uh, do you remember Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in the very least? I remember a little bit. I remember Alan Rickman the most. Okay, I wasn't talking about the movie, but still, let's oh, let's go with sorry. that. I believe it was in one of the follow-up books, but I remember this moment. Because the books are deeply farcical and critical in good ways, but again, you, you have to have a little bit of self-awareness for it even to land. It's kind of like the classic example of Starship Troopers. What's the big deal? Some dude shot some bugs. Okay, you didn't watch the movie. There is a description of a culture 
where uh, concerts are super prestigious. It's really important that you go to see these concerts if you're anybody. You got to go see this band. But you see, this band has a history of cranking it past 11. So the viewing experience of this entire construct is the the concert venue is held on a planetoid. Small planet, moon, whatever you like. The band is on a separate adjacent planetoid, and the audience is in a third planetoid, all holding an orbit, because where the concert is, it's so stacked with speakers that it is impossible to live when they're all playing. Sound will destroy you. And it's still loud enough that the audience planetoid requires hearing protection to participate. But you get to be there when the waves hit you, and that's the fun part. It's literally <laughs> fucking unlistenable and will kill you, but you will pay exorbitant prices to go be somewhere else completely, but kind of within earsight, maybe, of where the speakers are, where the band isn't, because they're in a separate venue entirely, but everyone agrees that's the awesome part, and you still can't hear the next day. Uh, that actually but, sounds very similar. Yeah, it does. Yes, and again, the social awareness is such that this is a valuable thing and should be celebrated and supported as opposed to being deeply critical. Now, I understand people need interests, they need activities, they need some outlets for their natural impulses. I just don't like where this the parable about uh, meteorological, meteor, meteorological events, such as rain, and urination, and those being conflated. I don't like that. Really? Well, I mean, do you want to say the phrase the way it's supposed to be said? What, are you talking about the R. Kelly? Well, it doesn't have to be kids, but you could always do that. Yeah, it doesn't have to. It's like being pissed on all the time. And being told it's raining, yes. Yeah. It's, I, it's, it's, it's hard for me because there's, there's a tasteful medium where self-delusion is welcome. It's, we're back to George Carlin all over again. It's the exaggeration. It's how you construct the joke. There are subjects people say you can't joke about. That's not true. Nothing is off the table. But you have to build the joke in consideration to the audience because your joke is an observation, an enhancement, or a reduction. It, it is attempting to reach people, to hit people a certain way, and to offer a point. If your joke is lame or too aggressive, it will not land. If it is memorable, people will meme it, steal it, and repeat it, passing on the idea. There's an art to it. And joking, like exaggeration, I mean, deep down, it's a lie. That's not how things are. True, but this is the way I choose to express them. As mentioned previously, treachery is at the heart of every human endeavor. Mm -hmm. And as such, this is one of the ways we can do it. So while we're going to do it anyway, why not do it good, though? Because it doesn't occur to us, apparently. So uh, how reductive do you want to be here? Yes, movies are bullshit, except for the part where they're not, at least in pieces sometimes. I get more stimulated about movies that are tense, with people tackling problems that are just out of their grasp to solve, but are not impossible. Ah, uh, so you use... like the, the Marvel movies then? I mean, I, I used to really like them. Then they continue to happen, to the point where there are no stakes. It's again, just watching 
very fit, attractive people in custom costumes perform feats of daring uh, using uh, unearthly paradimensional adventure heists. There's a place for that. Absolutely. I'm just not invested in anything really happening anymore because it's painfully obvious. It's here to just print more money. And once upon a time, it wasn't obvious that it's here to print more money. It was there to offer something to an audience that thirsted for an expression of what they already enjoyed and bring in new fans while making money. That, to me, is a distinct thing. Of course it runs at a profit, but I'm giving you something that you craved in the first place. Now it's an obligation. Shit, I already watched 55 of these things. Of course I have to watch the next one. <laughs> I have a, a hesitation, perhaps. I think we may have mentioned this before, but let, let's do it. Uh, at the time of this, well, not, not release, soon, Denis Villeneuve's Dune will be in theaters. Yes. You know about this? Yes, three days. Yes. I, am, I will be watching it on HBO Max because it comes out on there and free. Yes, and free is important right now. <laughs> but Indeed it is. The three days is completely relative. When this gets uploaded, it could It'll be a different be time. Out. It'll already be out. Point being, I was hesitant at first, to want to go see it. I'm hesitant because it is part one of two. Or maybe more. And I don't like that. I don't... I remember all the teen twee films that kept on splitting up their um, their last chapters. Harry Potter oh, did it. Twilight did, did it. it. Uh, Hunger Hobbit Games did, did it. it. Exactly. Wait, wait did you say The Hobbit? That's not, is The Hobbit a tween film? Yeah. I guess I've never seen The Hobbit then. Yeah, no, the, the, the Hobbit is gorgeous people adventuring. Yes, there's adventure, and yes, there's actually some pretty decent sword violence and all kinds of stuff. It is, The Hobbit is a kid's book, and Peter Jackson's victory lap making The Hobbit entertaining as it is, is, in retrospect, quite shallow. Enjoyable, but it ain't no Lord of the Rings. All I know anyway. is that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch crawling on the ground doing CGI motion capture is hilarious. Yeah, it's really fun. It's really funny. It, it's excellent, light entertainment while still pretending to be fancy because elves and shit. Um, anyway, Evangeline Lilly, cute girl. Who? Splitting up a film into parts is typically unnecessary, although it depends on the material you're pulling from. Now, in this case, I am familiar with Dune. I have read it. I need books? to go back and reread it. Uh, no, no. As I've said before a few times, uh, I began my journey with Chapter House Dune because I heard Dune was good, uh, and I was twelve or thirteen, and I was impossibly lost. Also, an immigrant. Important to say, English was not as strong with me as it is today. I, I there were some confusions. Why are the space nuns fucking dog people? Literally <laughs> fucking them I, for pleasure. I don't understand. What I have missed some steps here. <laughs> Say what? I, I've never read them at all. I had a guy who was listening to them on audio uh, when I was riding with them. Uh, I have uh, all I know is there's a place called Caracas. The main character is called Paul, and that's it. Okay, you you would enjoy what's happening here because you enjoy Prussian history. You enjoy Crusader Kings. You enjoy nobles and their economic constructs grinding up on each other, but pretending that it's all kosher. So Chapter House Dune is in a further study and expansion of the universe. And some people don't like anything past the first book or in fact past the first half of the first book because that story does go places 
and it's well thought out and well crafted. It's very dense. It's not for everyone's tastes because, uh, well, Frank Herbert wrote the way he wanted to write, which I find to be delightful now. I did not when I was a younger person. Now, so not to cut you off here. So you jumped in on book six of six. I had no idea. I, I heard it's good. I was new, and that's what they had at the library. So yes, I jumped in at book six of six. Fucking don't do that. Yeah. I I don't know who, what, why, or when. No. Because again, even book one of six. Take your time. If you're going to listen to it, you may have to listen to it a few times, because shit be dense. It's not difficult to explain. Economic disputes are not very difficult to explain at the surface level. It's when you get look for context and reasons. That's the trick. So... Dune, the film that's coming up soon, is roughly the first half of the book, allegedly. Haven't seen the movie, can't tell you certainly quite yet. But the notion is, if these are two films, if, and they're roughly two and a half hours each, that five-hour runtime, comparable to an HBO Max miniseries, that could be appropriate. That actually might give you the time to explore and inhabit this place as intended for the audience because I do own a copy of the David Lynch film and yes it's hard to watch but I still have it because again it's one of those unfilmable except for I did it artifacts that is not the original vision but there is value in how this particular vision was offered to the world and it can be as uh, disastrous or as campy or as satisfying as you want it to be still it, it has value on its own that being said I reversed my stance because I didn't want to watch half of a story. The Blade Runner sequel did not do well financially, as far as I understand, especially in theaters. Did not stop it from being, in my mind, a very satisfying movie that is a great visual delight, thematically consistent, and exploring characters that were described as wooden, lifeless, and sterile. And again, I have to wonder, did you even watch the fucking movie? Because yes, and yes, but that all tracks, especially with what's happening to our minds and personalities right now. There might not be a second part of this film, Chucks. There might not be a Dune Part 2, depending on how the money goes. I hope there is, but I cannot be certain of that for a, a variety of life events. So I think I want to go see it to see what's being crafted and shown, understanding that if I want the rest of the story... Go back to the book and read the rest of the story, possibly now projecting the images of these characters, because this looks to be a whopper of an expensive project, and I think it has inherent value on its own, even just to go see, to go check it out. But the expectation is, similar to uh, Batman finding Jack the Ripper, I guess we'll never know how that story ends. Huh. Just, just, huh? Yeah. Well, I guess you'll 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 watch it on HBO Max, and I will try to see it in theater, and we can compare our experiences and gripe about it, and you can tell me all about how a forty-year-old story uh, is plotting slow, confusing, and there were barely any titties. I know. At the same time, I was listening to you. I'm also reading. I guess Herbert died in '86, and so we kind of left. I guess he was assuming he would do more. 
and shit didn't go that way and somebody else published two more books at the end of it that's right that's right the the material outlived the creator but i mean uh, sometimes revisions aren't so bad the lady jessica gang rape scene i think is a little bit over the top i'm kidding that doesn't happen but there's themes that are set here are very i would say they're still contemporary but everything is swathed in antiquity just imagine Imagine a structure of wealth so ingrained that people kind of forgot how to have full-scale wars anymore. And weaponry happens. Civil riots happen. The, the technology technically exists. But the bottlenecks of transporting such things, like the Viltrumites, uh, it's, the Empire got so sprawled and heavy, it just doesn't work anymore. What is the point of lugging armies around? Yeah, small personal guards, machinery here and there, but remember those war titans we used to have? Nah, dismantle that shit. It's useless. Who's going to fight anyway? We'd rather strangle you to death with economic sanctions than bombard you into oblivion. And friendly that's warfare. What? What's that? Said friendly warfare. We're not going to we're not going to kill all your people, but we will over time. We're just going to starve you out and let you die slowly. We're just going to reprioritize certain human capital interests in the upcoming quarter. What? That sure sounds like genocide to me. No, yes. no, no. It's just, uh, it's just, it's just restructuring. That's all it is. Not genocide. We're restructuring humanity. <laughs> and that is how it go. And there's a delight to that. But again, th there seems to be a life experience. Possibly intelligence, but more likely maturity threshold to get the most you can out of this. Because I find the retelling, the, the, the fact that enough money and talents have been poured into retelling this story now to be preposterous. The world as it stands right now features many people who have no time for a 45-minute board game, much less a two-and-a-half-hour retelling of half of a story from 50 years ago. I said 40. I'm wrong. It's even more. Uh, but I'm super curious and I want to see how it adapts and most likely reread the text and compare and listen to other grognards who stroke their belly beards go, yes, yes, mm, truly, truly, this was uh, momentous. Or maybe I just want to go see Jason Momoa be Jason Momoa. Maybe, maybe. I'm trying to figure out who they have. I know of the Baron. I'm trying to figure out who, the, who plays the Baron. Stellan Skarsgård? Does he? Vladimir Harkonnen? Harkon? Harko? Harkonnen? Har <laughs> well, it's funny because I hear Harkonnen and Harkonnen? I think, oh, plural in German. But if I remember correctly, they also use it interchangeably with Harkonnens, at least in the book, I think. So it's not clear. So at he, the same time, huh? he plays the Baron then, okay. Like I said, I, I don't so. I don't know the names of the families. I don't know anything of that. So it also doesn't hurt that my journey with gaming largely got kickstarted for realsies with a game called Dune Two. Electric Boogaloo. Basically. And how audacious to have a game called Dune Two as in Yep Canon sequel. <laughs> it's a sequel, don't lie. Don't don't just trust us. But it has nothing to do with the books. Just let it happen. Yeah, the House Ordos. Who? Yeah, the green guys. I'm terribly lost. What the fuck? 
I have no idea what's going on. Uh, I think you're in time, but if you're annoyed by the pace of things, I wouldn't be super surprised because this thing is in no hurry, and that's part of the theme. And it's not a bad thing either. Well, I'm off Saturday, so in Friday, I got to stay up all night because I'm on night shift now. So guess what I'll be doing? Uh, probably watching more DC garbage. Uh, no, I'll be watching this. Hans Zimmer does the score for the film. Oh, wow. They, I guess they got some actual talent for this yeah. enterprise. I would not have seen that coming. I wouldn't have either. <laughs> well, they could have gotten Danny Elfman, but... They could have. If I'm not mistaken, Danny Elfman used to be uh, the lead singer of the band Oingo Bongo, or uh, I think it was Devo. I don't think you're mistaken. I, I think I think that tracks. But at the same time, it, it's it's almost kind of sad that we have like three, four, five names to refer to. I can say, ooh, Enon Zur, and you might know who I'm talking about. Never mind the other 300 composers doing work out there. Enon Zur. Just... Never heard of him. You've probably heard his work. You probably haven't heard of him. Kind of like uh, Ramin Jawadi. A lot of people have heard Ramin Jawadi's work. They don't know the name. This is uh, this is where you ask, who the who, hell is Ramin Jawadi? That's what I was about to ask you. Who is that? Oh, he's good with strings. Well, I'm looking him up. Oh, the guy, Inan Zur is Israeli. Okay. Uh, what did you say his name was? Something Jawadi? Ramin, R-A-M-I-N. And by the time you type in DJ, I think it'll autocomplete and probably say, oh, he also did this. Yeah, I got him. I've seen him before. Uh-huh. I, I, I most celebrate him for giving us the Pacific Rim theme, but he did a fair bit more than that. Uh, Pacific Rim, The Great Wall. He did The Eternals. Uh, Game of uh -huh. Thrones, Iron Man. I guess he worked on those soundtracks. Hmm. Yeah, just gloss over the the Game of Thrones part. Nobody cared about that. Yeah, no. Westworld. No. That's that's a that's a very hummable theme. And maybe again, maybe it doesn't hit you the same way it hits me. But when I hear musical expression presented well and attached to a property that's recognizable, I think good for you, buddy. Again, they will not know your name because it's not John Smith, but they will remember the strings you put together. Oh. And again. Game of Thrones, Pacific Rim. Game of Thrones, Pacific Rim. Can you spot the connection? Because I sure as fuck can't. I can Eternals. Well, nope. Great Wall. Iron Man? What did he do on Iron Man? Most of that was ACDC's soundtrack. Uh, the theming in the middle, especially when the suit's being put together. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I forgot about that part. I haven't seen Iron Man since like a year after it came out. It's um, it's kind of fun to have a marathon to watch the early MCU films with Blade if you want to include that. Again, a more innocent time where this wasn't a toothpaste pipeline. Instead, it was nice that these were great standouts that might be connected and they were designed to be. I know this. But individual stories about individual heroes it, that it wasn't super focused on crossovers, but the callbacks were welcome. And they're drawing on Oh, how many years of experience? Iron Man first appeared in the 60s, I think. Mm, yeah, early 60s. So all those stories had 40 years to marinate and connect so that the writers and designers can truly pick and choose what they want to include in their stories. And the world gets to pretend that this is all new original content. It's not. 
but the interpretation thereof sure is a bigger wallet to work with. And I find value in that, but I'm also not blind to where it comes from. So it gets extra complicated when you start throwing things like, yeah, but such and such character is not such and such ethnicity. I get to be now. You might say, I don't, I'm not sure the Sumerians actually made it as far as Poland to, um, to diversify this cast. But if you say, oh, this fantastical character that I wrote years ago, who actually has a different cultural analog within the fiction because the writers were facing the same kind of race and gender politics that we are facing now, just quieter back in their own way. Um, so we know this name, and this name will sell better. But there's also this character over here that was written as a comparison point to a different kind of people. You're right. You're right. They'll never sell. Let's just recolor the one we'll recognize. Where's the Malaysian character? How about some Pinay heroes? We're not ready for that. No, not yet. Uh, it's a guy that did, uh, what is it? God and Monsters? Egypt, God and Monsters, or something like that? Are you talking about the lead composer? No, 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 no. The guy who did the movie. The guy who did the movie. Let me type that in, actually. Um, gods, monsters. God, God of Egypt. Who did the movie? Alex uh, Proyas. All I know is they asked him a question. They're like, well, why do you have a movie based on Egypt? And he goes, well, no one's going to see a movie with a name like Muhammad such and such, and they're brown. It's like, oh, damn, dude. Like, wrong fucking timing for that. Like, you got you to gotta tone down the racism there if you, you want to watch have people watch your movie, man. Is it racism if it's an economic decision? I mean, eh. I wish it was true, but he ain't that wrong. I saw a meme recently that <laughs> involved a picture saying, why do they have a white dude playing an Egyptian? Uh, Rami Malek is Egyptian. But he looked too white, though. Mr. Robot can't be that. Uh, Chucks, because you said something wrong, um, I'm going to tell you that Gods and Monsters is a 1998 film with Ian McKellen and Brandon Frazier. And that on its own has got me interested sufficiently well to say I want to see it. Gods and Monsters, 1980 period piece, recounts the partially pixelized James White? No, no, I want to see it. Hey, but it has his buddy from uh, uh, what's it called? Yeah, uh, the Mummy. That's what. Yeah, yes. Kevin yes. Kevin Connor. He plays the uh, Jewish Arabian guy. I don't I don't know what you I don't know what ethnicity he is. We don't know, but these yeah. characters, these actors portraying characters that are dealing with sensitive issue. Yeah, that's good shit. It's no Alan Turing documentary. But it's good shit. No, not at all. Rob, wait, wait. Someone gave shit because Rami Malek played Freddie Mercury. No, no, no. There's a, a film in production or close to release where Rami is playing a Egyptian man. He's on set wearing period costume, if you will. Ah, okay. I got gotcha. you. Okay, makes it's, sense. It's though. a nonsense, nonsense piece of outrage. But hey, I got a spare five minutes. Why don't why not be upset at something? I like how if you look up Rami Malik, it says movie and TV shows. It says Until Dawn, and they have the female character just smiling as the picture. That tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. That's the game there. 
Which again, speaking of which, I, I have respect for Until Dawn. Still haven't touched it. Neither have I. It's, it's still primarily a hacky slashy spoopy. When it's Cabin in the Woods, okay, you've got satire, let, let's see what happens. Let's see how you work with the formula. When you're playing it straight, oh no, which of these people are going to die? If I had my way, all of them. <laughs> all you sons of bitches are going to die. Oh shit. But no, uh, speaking of uh, games and stuff I just recently saw, sir, uh, I just saw a ad for a Resident Evil board game. It is being kickstarted. Yeah, so... Yeah, yeah, it's a board game. So... You speak of my language, continue. What I have seen so far, because in the little break there, that's where it popped up on my phone, uh, you play as one of the four characters. Uh, There are zombie pieces set out, but... You have to lay, you have sections of the house, and I guess as you explore, because it didn't really show it, it just showed you setting down the pieces. Um, but I guess as you explore, go up the stairs, go this way. It's kind of like, what is that? Uh, Haunting on Hill House, I think, is a game. It's, yeah, the trail at House on the Hill. We, yeah. I'm going to pause you for a second. I don't think my father in law knew that this was happening, but he referenced Haunting or Betrayed House on the Hill. And then he, in his mind, it popped in like, oh, but Resident Evil, what if that were to work? And he described exactly this scenario, pulling it out of his ass. And I thought, you're right, that's a very compatible situation where you're just exploring about. And it even works because you'd think to yourself, well, these characters have guns. We've established in Resident Evil games that bullets don't do very much. So if you have a a beastie coming at you, it doesn't matter that you're armed, you better come prepared with something else. Anyway, happy coincidence, please continue. But you have cards as you play, and as you're exploring, oh, God, this door doesn't lead anywhere. This door requires a key. I need a small key. Like, because there were small keys, and then you had your house keys. This key requires a certain one. So you got to go explore and find that fucking key and flip it over and hope you get the right key as you do it, or tool or whatever. I want to see how much farther this goes, but they're kickstarting it. Uh, Kickstarter starts uh, a week from today. It was released today by Capcom and Steamforge Games that... This will be kickstarted to become a board game. I will tell you this: um, if I ever see this on shelves, I will uh, graciously buy it. You will catch her in the riot. I will it. I've never read Catcher in the Riot, which is the sad part. Neither have I, but that's not what I'm referencing. I'm referencing a, a Mel Gibson film called uh, Conspiracy Theory. That's right, where he plays the crazy guy, where he thinks he believes in all these conspiracy theories and come to find out he was right. Yeah, bites off Patrick Stewart's nose, too. <laughs> I gotta watch that movie, then. It's it's interesting, but there's a scene I'm referencing where someone's visiting his apartment, and they ask him, oh, do you like this book? Oh, yeah, well, there's more than one copy here. Uh-huh. So what's going on? Well, when I see it in the shelf, I have to buy it. And then I bring it home, and but then when I see it on the shelf, I have to buy it. How many copies do you have? Sixteen. So, in that context, Chuck, so I'm very happy if you do acquire it, just, again, for the brand recognition, much less saying, who cares if the game works? I want it! And you'll buy it, you're bringing it home, and then it's going to happen all over again. Yeah, probably. Uh, I've just now found out there's a Resident Evil 2 board game and a Resident Evil 3 board game. Uh-huh. And they have but no this, clue how they play. This is a, a slippery slope, my friend, because... Board games, as much as I've really dove in and found things to enjoy, it's not a fair playing field. 
sometimes game systems that work well somewhere but don't sell are rebranded to other games to be more successful and then they suddenly sell better other times that's not a good thing it's it's actually a poor in inclusion the game itself becomes less fun um uh, there's a channel and a website called shut up and sit down mm -hmm. and i've i've taken a great interest in these guys because their their britishisms are very satisfying to uh, explore when they talk about games the reviews are pretty in-depth i haven't read a lot of the written content i've watched their videos which have gotten me not just affirmed in what i already suspect but much more attentive and critical of little pieces for example they had talked about star wars rebellion i want to say that or imperial assault one of the two point being star wars is a big feature that's a game that draws a lot of eyeballs because, ooh, Star Wars board game. But the conclusion they had after playing the game is that the game is very transparent about what it does. Once you've played it, as one faction and the other, it's a two-player game, only two players. All there's left to do is to play as the other side. And then you just you see how the game goes and you're playing the same events. There's no lifespan to the game. If you really, really like it, and the way it plays, cool. That's good for you and whoever you're dragging into this mess. But the game has a very short lifespan, which for me is a negative prospect. I don't want that. I would like games, that, if they're simple, to have replayability because they're not thematically appealing. Just because I'm into the property that this reflects doesn't make the game itself good. So you have three Resident Evil games from Steamforge games. I'd have to look into them to see how they actually work before I go, ooh, Ooh, a Silent Hill game. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm checking it out now. And as of right now, two does not look good um, at all. Three based looks on, based you're, you're on the photos. Photos of the game. Uh, there's a video. I'm not going to play the video right now because if I did, it's going to come across, and I don't want to get copyright struck on this video. But there are tiles. It looks like you have to build it, and there are characters, kind of the same way, but. It looks like you don't start in the RPD. I can't really tell because when you click on something, it doesn't bring anything up. Yeah, and that's... Th yeah, that it's is... the same way. You build so, tiles. So Resident Evil won the board game. If that's the newest thing they're doing, which sounds like it is, maybe this is the one where it all clicks together. Maybe it's not. Investigation is required by those that speak the language of cardboard and tokens before falling in completely. Now... I've mentioned this name, I think, at least once, but there's a game I'm thrilled about that I am very unlikely to get to play unless I leave my circle of people and go somewhere where this game is played, and it's called Twilight Imperium. Do you remember these words? I do. And why do you think those words are such such true? Why am I not going to get to play this game? Let's find out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um... Holy shit. Shitter. Yeah. That, what the fuck is going on? That's about right. That's about right. It's a game for like six players. You could do it with three, but come on. Come on. Look at the images tab. Yeah, no, that's what I did. I looked. I'm like, what the ever-loving fuck? It's a big spendy boy, but it has a space lions. And to borrow the words of people who have spoken about it, to at least express them here, this very much qualifies as something called a mega game which means just the act of playing it and touching it and maybe doing a couple of runs, maybe, that's enough. You don't have to play the entire thing in all its possibilities. There's such variety available that every session is something distinct. But it's a commitment. 
not just because the box is somewhere between $150, $200, not just because of that, because you need the people to come in, sit down, and get involved for three to eight hours, depending on their comfort level reading ability. And there's a lot of pieces, so whoever's doing the burden has to do the setup and the teardown. And this is a game you play occasionally. It doesn't have continuity in terms of campaign play, although I'm sure they added that in an expansion. The appeal of this intergalactic coexistence is that it poses itself as a space combat game, but it's not. It's a space neighbors game. Now, what do you think that means? Uh, you got to build on trade and everything. You start off in distinct hexes around this star sector slash galaxy, and you're laying claim to planets. But then when you form borders with your neighbors, you could do a big warfare, but that's way expensive. It's costly. It doesn't help you sustain yourself or pursue your victory objectives. So now you've got to play nice and pressure each other or con each other with shared resources and individual ambitions. So the joy of playing the game is basically giving everyone the tools to, quote, succeed, and then discovering how people interact when opportunity is around the corner, but they don't want to either want to be explicit or sly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's a different game called Eclipse that is much more about combat because you do actual ship design, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the idea of Twilight Imperium is somebody might be a space lion and somebody else might be a sentient computer virus, and that's kind of good enough on some level. It's an older game in its initial design, but I think they've dialed up quite a few things from 97 to now, 20 years later. Oh yeah, three to eight players, excuse me, between three and eight people. That's a lot of shit, Chucks. You ain't shitting, holy crap. And, and I wanna, I really, really wanna. Might not happen, because I need people as crazy as I am to do it. On the other hand, Gloomhaven, which is not quite a contemporary, but um, a recently arrived game that's quite popular, Gloomhaven has been reported by the people who review these things to be a game you don't have to play in its totality because it is, it's just video gamey enough where let's say there are 400 quests. They're not, but let's just say. You don't have to do them all. Your run through the branching decisions of what a campaign looks like is sufficiently satisfying to you as players. If you want to go back and play more and do other things, you can do that. But the entire point is you you carve your adventure through the myriad possibilities down to the 15 or 20 that you end up actually doing. Hmm. That's very exciting to me. It actually, it, it doesn't require me to think, I want to do it all. It doesn't trigger that mind goblin that says, must do all content. And that's reassuring to hear because, again... I bought the small box of Gloomhaven. That was Jaws of the Lion, which is the expansion slash prequel slash standalone thing that it can be. If I whip out Gloomhaven the box in front of an unsuspecting audience, I might be sent home or the police might be called because <laughs> there's so much shit here. So it's, it's intimidating and that's the last thing I want to do to people who I'm already having to convince that there's things outside of Catan out there in the board game world. And Gloomhaven is more accessible than Twilight. Which, again, is interesting for me to say because thanks to the fellas that shut up and sit down, they reviewed an expansion to Twilight Imperium. And the conclusion is, I don't know who this is for. This does not make anything objectively better. It adds more stuff to a bigger game. 
And I don't see how this actually sells somebody on the value of what this is because just because bigger does not improve necessarily. Similar to the Lord of the Rings game. There's many, but again, that's why I trust subject matter experts who can not only interact with the stuff, but present it in a digestible fashion and not simply pet the drapes, but are familiar with how the weaving and the patterns contribute to your satisfying feeling when you look at the window and say, hmm, them drapes is nice. And they feel good too. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes plenty of sense. So let's talk about the King's Dilemma again. Do you remember me bringing up the King's Dilemma? No, I don't. <laughs> well, Since okay. we already we already mentioned uh, Game of Thrones a couple of times, and that's been reaffirmed by said review of Game of Thrones. Slash King's Dilemma. The idea is that... The, okay. Uh, let, one of the houses in the game and there's 12 so you will probably not get to see all of it and that's also okay because again stickers permanent effects you will select from a menu and you might as well throw the rest of them away you probably will not get to play those pieces but uh, apparently there's a legally distinct Lannister set in there if you want to feel like ooh, ooh I'm playing the show but I like the idea that this is an, ex an example of legacy games that I'm just very much attracted to at the moment. Where just words isn't a problem. Where there's actually capable writing and decision-making available to the playing audience. Because it is noble houses debating on what they ought to do around a figurehead monarch. Again, my deep concern is I won't get to play this game because according to the fellas, it's sit up, sit up and shut down. That's not what, that's not what that is. Uh, runs best on five people. And that basically means that you're probably going to get three to four players. But if it's a social voting game, then if it's three players, it's always going to be two-on-one. And being ganged up on two-on-one just doesn't feel great for most people over any length of time. If it's four players, you're going to have a lot of stalemates and no tiebreaker. But three-on-two decisions, or any permutation thereof, that feels about right, wouldn't you say? Yeah, three on two with four people is pretty amazing. <laughs> oh, five. You need five people. Five people, yeah. No, yeah, no, it makes the game interesting. If you have. Well, even three on. Okay, so if you did three players, two on one, you got to think. Whoever. I'm assuming in this one, you got to convince the people you are with, whoever you're playing with, hey, here's why we should do this. This is in the best interest. And then the other person who they disagree, you have to convince that third party. Now, I'm assuming sometimes it's just like, hey, we two agree, you disagree, sorry, it's two on one, you lose. Or sometimes, hey, we disagree and you agree, you lose, boom. Now, that doesn't go through. I think that's still pretty fun, but I think with the more people, the tougher it gets. Because then you're going to have to start talking it out. Just like, hmm, let's discuss, let's plan out why this is good for the kingdom. And try oh, yes. to convince somebody Heavy. else. Heavy finger quotes the kingdom. Yes, that that is that's those interests we're looking out for. Absolutely, no selfishness evolved. That's before we bring up the things like bribing each other. So you're right. With more people, it's more complicated. But that's the kind of mess I want to get stuck into, because once you get into the idea of a little bit of role playing, a little bit of skullduggery, and how your decisions affect the kingdom's overall health, because you could result in the kingdom's collapse in one of a couple of different ways. And there's no real obligation 
for you to save anyone outside of yourself. And the beautiful thing is, as you continue to affect the kingdom, the narrative keeps happening and your decisions continue to have compounding effects you cannot possibly predict. That's good. I want that. Now tell me, Chucks, how do I convince four other possibly neurotypical people to spend 15 sessions doing this shit? Uh, you won't be able to. Yeah. You'd yeah. have to find someone like myself or someone similar to you that's willing to sit down who's going to find something like this fun. Okay, so officially Grime and Game is not open to cloning commissions. Yeah. We, we're looking for people to replicate us or just people like us. Good luck. But uh, this fascinates me greatly. And yes, Carcassonne is always available. I like it very much. But a game mechanic where everyone gets to be um, the head of a household for a day, if you will, and then get to feel the burden of what that's like. And I was, I was wrong initially. that Nobody gets to play the king. The king is very much a puppet figure. So it's the influential nobles in, in the area. And also, sometimes when voting, you can just abstain. Just say, nope, fuck it, not voting on this one. Which so, also has consequences. Well, I can see that. And that's what my thinking is. It's like, I mean, if you want to play this like a real, you know, like parliament session, you're going to need like 300 people. Just have 300 people in the room shouting at each other, trying to convince each other, and then nothing will get done for weeks. Yeah, 300 people, only five of whom actually matter. <laughs> yes. And hidden agendas. Everyone's got little screens. Yay! My party says this isn't good for us. The goddamn it, fuck your party. Think about the whole system. I don't wanna. This isn't fair. As the premier shrimp importers of this kingdom, <laughs> we feel. <laughs> Take your shrimp and fuck off. <laughs> there is. There's an insidious element that I'm now more aware of and I'm a little bit critical of in this entire subgenre. And I have to kind of negotiate with myself how much I want to lean into this. A little bit of um, the legacy games are informed by unboxing mechanics. And I'm not going to deny that opening up a box of mystery is satisfying on its own. I get that. I understand that. But in addition, here, depending on how the game is designed, just opening a box is not just opening a box. You're affecting the flow of the game mechanics as they continue. It's like getting abilities in games. Sure, that's fun on its own, but I like to think that it's more than just a dopamine hit of, new thing! Oh, it's gone. Quick, open a new thing! Oh, no. What do you think? I mean, a lot of people are like that with board games in general, though. Like, when you first get into a board game, unless it really clicks to you, you're not really going to be like, ooh, board game and uh, yeah that was fun okay that was great we're done uh we'll play this again in like a year and a half maybe like that's how all board games are with most people most standard people uh i know with me if i really like a board game the biggest issue i have is there are people down here that i don't know who very rarely find people who like board games yeah that's um, that's a challenging prospect isn't it it is and it fuckers love this just do this with me no i don't know I'd rather just go beat off and watch football at the same time. That That is a skill. Beating off while watching football. It, it's, it's, it's the cheering motion with a fist in the air. You just lower the fist about 90 degrees and works pretty well. Well, then when you're cussing, you got to be pissed off because now it's like, God damn it, they didn't get the first down. 
and you're still well, cranking it out and you're yelling and your wife's wondering what's going on. Well, now you have a projectile to launch at the screen and streams when you're <laughs> upset. No, the TV's all sticky. <laughs> for other yeah. reasons for change. So this this milieu continues. Um, this fascination of mine, it just it's I, I learned things that I wasn't happy to learn, but it happens anyway and it makes sense. Um apparently, apparently, even in this forum where we're supposed to come together and be better human beings, there's derision and slurs such as Eurotrash and Ameritrash games. Would you would you care to, for me to elaborate what those two mean? Well, I'm assuming it's European trash board games and American trash board games. But why trash? What where the slander is coming from? Uh, okay. I don't know. I'll explain it. Americans might say Euro trash for games, especially when those games involve compounding systems, resource management, turn opportunity management risk assessment, and mechanics that work well together when the engine is running, but that engine takes a little bit of doing to get running. And if you want to do clerical work all evening long, then I guess this is the game for you. So it's, it's a slander based on this shit is too self-involved, I'm not having fun. Conversely, Ameritrash games are throw dice, move peg, yay, fun. Too simple. Yeah. Nothing going on here. Just perform one action. Mmm. Feels good. And I mean I there's merits to that, I suppose, but it's I guess a little bit upsetting that even even in jest, human hatred follows itself into this realm as well. Which is why you need calming games like like Carcassonne. Or Monopoly. <laughs> No, 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 no. Shoots and ladders? That game plays itself. It is actually an engine. Fine, Candyland. Haven't played Candyland, can't say. That's not bad. It's, it's fun even to... Here, look up this one. Look up Memoir 44. Memoir 44? Yeah. There's an apostrophe, but it doesn't matter. It'll come up. That'd be an example of a game that, from multiple sources, is highly respected. And there's challenges to getting it, and it's not the cheapest thing around. But to a grognard like you, in the making, you go, ooh, this scratches my axis and allies, and there's more going on. It does. But it's, it's well-beloved because the theme makes sense. I believe it arrives in a munition crate-looking box, and it's lavishly detailed in terms of separating out the environments you're going to be fighting over and there's a lot of mechanics for persistent combat and sometimes combat is, is not even the most important thing but we are doing a world war ii here so while we add it let's let's get our hex modes on with yes. modular boards also better have a big table <laughs> yeah i'm looking at it now like holy shit that's a huge ass board but it's well beloved for a reason it's not just because it's fiddly and there's a lot of shit to tinker with it seems to have intelligent design of thorough attention going on. And I recognize that people don't like that some of the time. They would rather it be as simple as Yahtzee or Uno. And that's what they know, and those games are popular for a reason, but that doesn't necessarily make them good. 
that's just what's available. The, the same reason Budweiser has a dominant presence. Uh, <laughs> it's in, cheap, it's I'm easy, sorry. and it, it's the job done. I don't think Budweiser exists anymore. I think it's just Bud Light. Is that accurate? No, Budweiser still exists. Okay. So yeah, cheap, easy, within reach, and it works. At the end of the day, you can crush a case of Natty Ice, and you're there. You did it. It works. Um, Mad Dog 2020. Wow, that was mm-hmm. Rose. Yes. Yes. This, this, but, this looks fun, by the way. I, I, I know it looks fun, but we need more players <laughs> in the same adjacent room pushing card tables together. And something like this involved intricate game surrounded around a familiar conflict to so the sense of familiarity and uh, relatability. I mean, neither one of us have uh, been on a French shore, I don't think. But we see it in enough movies where that's been portrayed. So the idea of fighting a conflict based on hexes, taking turns, and then expressing economic disparity towards one another through uh, gun rifles, that's, that shit's fun all day long for me. But then again, I have to find ways to get people to say, it's not about the fantasy elements, but can we play this where there's a direction? Some games are great to sit down and play because they exist in their own environment and that's where they live. And the fun is in the variety of session over session. But right now, on this kick, I very much want to take players through stories, myself included, if it's my first time. But to take them through a story where the development is consequential, it's stuff that happens to you that you you respond to or choices you make and then the consequences are unclear. And then it happens. But it's also easy to get lost in the weeds because there's a lot of stuff out there from terrible to mediocre to amazing. And not all that's apparent to people who have never touched it. So going from, I mean, you say Axis and Allies, and that's a familiar name, and I'm sure it is very well deserved. I haven't touched it. I only played its bastard child, Warhammer 40,000, for a number of years. I, I have fondness for it in concept. I can't speak about the rules. I just know that uh, men with beards and bloated bellies seem to really enjoy that game, as is the fashion of the time. Not yeah. to put it down. Not to put it down. Just I have no experience with it. And I might say, hey, fellas, I hear Memoir 44 is really good. And their response might be, I already have an install base of Axis and Allies. I'm not interested in your analog to this great great game that we already enjoy. Okay. Uh, until you become more open to this possibility, I guess we'll do the thing that you enjoy. And it, the thing is good. It's just, I wanted to show you something new, and you staunchly said, Budweiser's good enough for me. Okay, not Budweiser. Um, what's a classy, accessible American beer? Uh, I guess Heineken would be the next closest, right? That's not American, though. <laughs> you Neither see is Bud- Budweiser okay. anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, that's... Shh, we don't talk about that, Chucks. Yeah, All that's... American! Which I also uh, gotta PBR ask. PBR or Yingling would be your... Yeah, Mr. Pabst. Famous American name, Pabst. I gotta ask you, Chucks, while we're talking about this. Yeah. What the fuck does All-American mean, anyway? Uh, I'm not sure. In football, it means you're the best of that position. Yeah, in context of football. Uh, but the rest of it, All-American, just that you're a top-notch, you stand up for American values, is what I would assume. All-American values. Including slavery. We're not going to talk about that. 
Or what about some Canadian values? Maybe maybe some Haitian values? We don't see that, that. That's where it gets awkward because yeah. it, it's it's a phrase so familiar, like varsity and other things. You just say it because it's a meme because it gets passed on. But the moment you offer critical reflection, by and large, people shrink away. They go, uh, mm, uh, you know, it's something my pappy used to say. Okay. Was your pappy also of the same convictions? Like, is that what's happening here? Okay. So, here you go. Possessing the qualities, characteristics of American ideals, such as honesty, industriousness, industriousness, holy shit, and health. If I could fucking talk. So, it just means that uh, you're an honest, upright guy. You, you're like Abe Lincoln. You're six foot five, have Marfans, and can catch Russell. I guess. Well, that, that sure sounds like some American. American values change though over time. So calling someone an all-American nowadays, unless you're talking about sports, there ain't one thing because like you're getting at. Values change because we're such a, a country of immigrants and different values that it's different now. Oh, of course, of course. Which is why all-American mustard, all-American yellow mustard is somehow imbued with the same properties. If you eat enough of this, you'll get more American, right? No, no, it just means that it's only made in America. It, <laughs> but it's not. Um, it's a comforting phrase that is nonsense upon scrutiny because just saying American seems to be fine, but it's not enough, especially once you've become literate in the insidious language of advertising and manufacturing consent. Now we get an extra zing. It's why ads need, before you say the company logo, you got to make a comfort statement or a mission statement, then say the name of the company, and then frequently follow it up with another phrase. I know I've said this before. And that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. But at the same time, this translates to our board game discussion, where if all you know is Uno and Monopoly, then anything that doesn't sound like that sounds really scary. But once you're a little more literate, all of a sudden you kind of know how to navigate and you're developing preferences and your interests might become more specific. Then if somebody else busts out a simpler game, you might go, oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I like that anymore. But then if you're deeper into the weeds, maybe you begin to relish and support and want to interact with the simpler systems. Because yes, I mean, Grey Poupon is good, but sometimes I just need some of that. Uh, is it Franz? Franz is the company? Yeah. Just the yellow mustard. I just want the turmeric. Give it to me. Give me the packet. Don't even get the jar. I want the packet. I want to squeeze it out of my mouth. Mm. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the Thrillist uh, uh, website. Did the 14 most American brands. <laughs> All American brands. Number one, you want to take a guess? A Trojan. Tesla. Number two. How? How? How is Tesla the most American brand? Number I don't one, know. All right. Two. Number two. It's an alcohol. Take a guess. Yingling. Jack Daniels. Okay. I'll give you that one. Yep. Number three. It's a outdoor camping company that you buy from. Old man. R-E-I. Really? Yep. Okay. Um, now, qualified. Top brands based on current sales figures? No, it just they they just chose the top fourteen most all American brands, is what it says. Wow, series of ass poles. Okay, number four. Yep, number four. Uh, it's a grill, famous grill, expensive. 
Uh, George Foreman. Weber. Close, though. I would go with that, too. <laughs> Number five. It is... Disqualified. <laughs> Say what? You said it was large, so clearly it was disqualified. Yeah. Uh, number five, it's a food company. It's a, well, sit-down fast food company slash fast food. White Castle. TGI Fridays. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, number six is a br- instrument, uh, a brand of instrument. It's a famous name for uh, an instrument when you think of them. Yamaha? Yeah, <laughs> clearly. Gibson Guitars. Gibson, yes, yes, of course. Uh Number six, they are our number seven, our motorcycles. Indian. Harley. But close. <laughs> Indian motorcycles were the top selling motorcycles for like many decades. Uh-huh. Uh number eight is gonna be a clothing brand. Yeezys. Levi's. I would go with that. Number number nine, I don't quite understand. Um I don't know what they do. Uh I'm assuming boots. Oh, uh, that's got to be uh, Timbaland. L.L. Bean. Never heard of him. We All don't right. shop for underwear. Yeah, I know. Um, number 10, right here, top 10, the end of the top 10, uh, is a video game company. Oh, it's Capcom. <laughs> Indeed. No, Rockstar. Ha! <laughs> this list is pretty arbitrary. I love it. <laughs> yeah. All right, number 11, it's a motor company. A motor company, uh, Buick. Ford. Really? Over GMC? Okay, okay. Yeah. I guess Ford is more American because it's built for tough. Yep. Why is it falling apart? For tough! Number 12 is going to be a sports apparel company. Nike? Under Armour. Okay, okay. Uh, number 13 is going to be a, a baseball card selling company. Well, I mean... Okay, if it's not tops, I'm confused. Upper deck, you were wrong. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, hold on here. Thrillist for some reason decided to give me a sponsor. All right, number fourteen. We we Lowe's sold these tractors. Husqvarna. Indeed, no, it's John Deere. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the images they used. If you could pull up this the article, it's fucking hilarious. They got like bald eagles and fireworks going off in the background. Like a bald eagle carrying a baseball for the upper deck one. Like a flaming baseball and Uncle Sam high five and a a baseball player for the Under Armour. Like a lot of it's silly shit, but you could tell it was satirical. But uh I enjoy it. Like uh Ford uh, has Hulk Hogan with the American flag flexing while Abraham Lincoln's riding a uh <laughs> riding a Mustang while the Mustang's shooting laser beams out of its eyes. Well, I'm assuming he's holding, while well, the uh, Abraham Lincoln's holding uh, his Gettysburg Address speech while holding an M16 in his other hand with a scope on it. When was the article written? Oh, let's find out. Uh, I gotta scroll back up to the top. Ah, seven years ago. Okay. June 27th, 2014. It's possible then. It's satirical. Because satire requires self-awareness. And this is sitting very uncomfortably close to being sincere. It might be. Are you looking at it? Not yet. What was the uh, thrilling? You can send it to me. Uh, let's see here. I, I can do that. Have the technology. You have the technology. We can rebuild him, but at a cost. There you go. Oh, it's in the chat. Gotcha. 
Go team. This how 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 Tesla? How Tesla? <laughs> I don't know. What caught my eye though is when I looked up all American brands, it says the 14 most all American brands, and I was like, what? Tesla, Jack Daniels, REI? Like, I gotta click this ad. Well, and this one does feature Carl Weathers in in his uh, fantastic boxing getup. Yeah, and the edited Reese. out the machine gun in old Rambo's hands for a double thumbs up. Okay. With the amount of work in these, yes, it is satire. But damn, it's not scary that it's kind of close to being, just losing his mind. L losing its mind like what's happening now with our people. And uh, I, as you know, have a difficult time thinking about People wanting to enjoy an activity or media with the explicit desire to shut their brains off. Actually mindless entertainment. I have a hard time accessing that. I can recognize when I'm too tired to enjoy something, but I don't want to participate in something without it stimulating me. And the stimulus they're looking for is about the same as watching the outside scroll by as you drive or are driven somewhere. Not latching on to anything in particular. Unless, oh, is that a flingers? And then that's about as far as that goes. So, when it comes to things like, let's all gather around. Everyone got their peepees and poopies out? Everybody got their smokes done? Good. Let's do a board game thing. Somebody may have a feeling where they say, if this wasn't discussed and negotiated, they might say, I would honestly rather do something else. Watch the squirrels fuck. Or talk about sports some more. Do you have any handy tips, Chucks, of how to coax the general mind to say, you can have fun here too. Look, look, look. This one features Captain America. What took for me, when I was a younger kid, I wouldn't have done stuff like board games and everything. I was set in my ways. But what did it for me was that I, and for most people, it's, it's one, you have to accept sometimes getting out of your comfort zone to find new things that you enjoy. But not just that, uh, it doesn't have to be getting out of your comfort zone. It can be something you've already, like playing board, if you do play board games in general, you can be like, hey, you know what, I need to play something that is different so to see if it's good. Like I said, I try to keep everything, for me, give it a try at least once. Because if you don't give it a try, you never know if you're going to like it. So to convince the standard person, hey, you just need to try something just to say try it, we can only hope that it works. Uh, will it? Who knows? Um, well, you're right. It's who knows. But most people have the attitude I've, I spent 26 years not doing this. And you know something? Not about to start. That tends to be the attitude. And I can even see where it's coming from, right? I can I mean, because it, it, I guess it's the, the strangeness of being the, of the unknown is what scares people. But then how do we point where somebody gets curious enough you could probably understand this feeling mm -hmm. you, you, you're you you're relaxing you're shutting your brain off and you hear excited conversation positive tones of voice maybe giggles titters not not the titty kind and you think to yourself boy they sure are having fun over there hey uh hi folks would you be opposed to me looking and seeing what's going on this looks really good I have no idea what's happening may I sit in on this bullfighting match or something similar, not specific to the context, but the curiosity of observing people having a shared positive experience and then daring to 
examine or intrude. Can you understand that feeling? Yeah, most people here, well, I would say here in America, that isn't the case because most Americans don't want you to intrude on things. So if you're yeah. having fun over there, it's kind of like the Chappelle skit. Like when he's talking about white people and in their food, like we when you're at the grocery store and you're like, hey, what are you looking at <laughs> my cart for? Like, that's how that's how a lot of just Americans in general are like when you're having fun and it's not something that like a baseball game or a basketball game or something that was already pre-planned for a stranger to walk in and be like, hey, can, can I see what you're doing? It bothers people because now there's someone that may not understand, may judge you, may criticize you, and it's the same thing going through that stranger's head. This sounds fun and interesting, but are they going to make fun of me if I like this? I know they like it, but what if this random stranger, and they creeping in on them? I, am I making it awkward? Should I say something? And that's what a lot of people here in America are going to have a hard time doing. But sooner or later, you just got to say, fuck it and do it. And well, it's, it's better for you. Yeah. If that's apparent to you. Ah, but here's the rub, Chucks. That only applies when you're there in person. Because, in person. Yeah. because people, let's say Americans, they have no issue intruding in somebody else's business in the comments section or other formats. Because no, at that point, they're anonymous. Yeah, no, 100%. Because, yeah, if you say anonymous, it doesn't bother you. You can make fun of people. That's a, a lot of weird something weird about American society that I've never understood that I have never understood. Cause I just kind of mumbled that sentence right there is that most Americans will sit there and make fun of you about something, but go out and do it anyways. Like, ah, oh, you're such a nerd. You like comic books. My weekly subscription of Archie is coming in. I need to not let anybody know you guys are nerds. Ooh, Archie went with Betty. Like people do it or they, like, oh, you're 30 years old. Why are you still playing games? And then they go home and play games. Yep. Like, it's just because they they don't want to seem to be the abnormal one in the end when the abnormality is that it's not abnormal. Like, that's you acting the way you're acting is abnormal. The invalidation of anybody else having a good time. That is yeah. different than yours. And if it is the same as mine, well, we can find a distinction to fight about later. Don't you worry about that. But then no one's having fun. They're just being, they're just letting out stress because let's face it, we don't even notice. What didn't, what did you notice, Chucks, when stress happened in your life? You just came online and, well, that's what it is. Because, uh, so, you know, stress is actually a killer, but until you shit blood, that's hard to understand. So I never got to that point, but I have had severe stomach pains and everything. Um, I knew I had stress about two years when I started balding. Actually, mm. I didn't have I didn't start so I started balding once I became a manager. And I was that for seven years, and that was so goddamn stressful because always, hey, you're not doing a good job, and they, they always try to turn it up on you, saying you're doing a shit job, even though if they, you know, most of the time it's like, okay, well, do you have somebody else? By the way, I added another article into the uh, Discord. I don't know if you want to take a look at. Um, And that's when I realized stress was happening and the stress affected me in multiple ways. And I just, I knew it, but I just shrugged it aside for many, 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 many years until about the last year I was with the kid's mom. And then I realized like, I'm done being stressed out. I'm done always. My big stress was money because no matter how much I worked, no matter how much overtime I made, no matter how much money I brought home, it was never enough. Oh, we don't have the money. We don't have the money. Or it was, oh, you're out of money, but I have money. And it's like, well, screw you then. 
I'm pulling in six grand a month. You're pulling in jack shit. Yeah, it's it's the gesture of saying this isn't nearly enough as they take the money. Yeah, as they take the money. Hey, they, so it's not enough. So you don't want it. Oh, I want it. But more, more. Exactly. So I, I, I finally had enough and went, no, yeah, fuck you then. And I, we we split. And then I realized how much money I could save because by the time I got back down here, I had about 10 grand saved up. And I was like, huh. Just, living passively. Yeah, just just in a matter of eight months, I managed to save ten grand. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, and I was barely, I was barely spending more, uh, spending barely spending less than what I was spending when I was with her. And I'm like, this makes no sense. If I can save ten grand in eight months, and Chuck's, Chuck's, Chuck's it's not enough money. Not it's enough just money. not. I'm sorry, buddy. You got to go out there and get some more. And I'm still that way now. Don't get me wrong. Like with the situation I'm in now, I well, dropped a new money, engine. When I come back, oh no, that the money you brought will be gone. But more though. Yeah. So that that's that was my big stressor, and then uh, it's becoming that way again. Um, I have no issue with money. Like I'm doing okay. I have some money saved up. But when you when you spend money and you had that old way for so long, it just it still lingers there, and it's trying to break yourself out of that cycle. Um, and there are other stresses, but not as bad as the money thing, because I always sit there and think about money like, oh, God, do I have enough saved up? Am I going to be able to? I'll be fine. Well, money is as important as it is. It is one constraint. It is one resource. It's a fairly shared resource. Universal, you might say, because we have enough of a common experience where if that money ain't there, it's over. Well, except that it's not. Actually, life finds very curious ways to work around it, and you have other subcultures that don't even operate on money, both on the super wealthy and completely impoverished sector, because humanity is more clever than money. Money is one expression of resource or reach or ability. I agree with you. It's nice to have. But for all the damage that it does worrying about it, you have to kind of wonder, what is it that locks us up in the attitude? Could it be that if you weren't getting hounded by somebody in your life by saying it's important that we have more, what if you could be in the exact same situation? Let's say the money's going somewhere. Hard to say where, but pockets are always empty at the end of the billing cycle. But you're not stressing. You're not experiencing stress. You're not thinking about any to escape the situation. It's just, okay, well, a little broke this time, but it's okay. More will happen. Could it be that the attention and focus we place upon it are directly contributing to our misery and thus need to escape it and thus spending more money? Because people are sure are worried. And then they get more money and they're still worried and they get more money. They still get worried. I think either if you are raised in an environment that has never, ever raised their tone of voice and upset about, oh no, oh no, the money. They just approached it as a matter of figures, balances, trickle streams, things we can have now, later, things we can't have anymore or for a while. Is I'm going to guess that's not the education people receive in America and no. other places in general. That is not. It's, you got to go out there and make the money. What happens then? Don't worry about that. Just go make the money. Excuse and then me. they tell yeah. you, oh, sir, you're, uh, you're too old to make any money. You have to go home now. Well, how am I going to make money? You're not. So what do I do? I don't know. Start just sucking dick on the corner. Just don't do it here anymore. You're 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 old. You're done now. You've spent your life 
trying to make the money. Hope you saved some. Bye-bye. You didn't? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Sucks to be you. Problem. Not my problem. Please walk the man to the door. Not my... It's always a man. It's always a man. Not my chair. Not my problem. I don't That's know right, Billy. Really. You tell him. Oh, yeah. We reference it frequently. Yeah, we do. But yes. So, not to focus overly much on this depressing and real subject, but I guess that further informs my affinity for the board games that I have reignited, kind of the same way that I had enjoyed Warhammer and such. I've enjoyed Gundam and such, but it was always just kind of re out of reach until the reach was there. And so I dove in hard and I found my own meaning and I found ways and reasons to engage the material and discover for myself how it worked. And then once I discovered how it worked, I thought, well, what other nuances are there? And what does it do? And how does it tick? And what's going on? And then I had another point of understanding and thought, but Katamari is bigger now. Now I can pass on that joy to others. Look at other comparable fantasies or methods of understanding or people relating stories to one another. And then go for the really weird shit just to kind of see where thoughts have reached and been put to paper or manifested in plastic or etc. And then, and then how that relates to me. And where the point of enough is. Because there is one. There's a threshold where you can go further, but you're not getting much out of this anymore. And that's where further reflection and travel can happen. But my personality is highly inclined into discovering that it's made a foothold somewhere, and then just delving deep for as much as there is. And I'm not sure that's the healthiest method. And I think they call that a, a compulsive personality. But that's what happens. And I'm instead of fighting it, I'm looking for ways to channel it in the most giving and constructive way. The trouble that occurs, of course, is people misunderstand the impulses. They misunderstand where it's coming from. And they're always trying to solve for, yes, yes, but how does this make money? What's the practical application of this? Well, that's... Again, just, go ahead. No, that's, that's, the, that's what you're taught here in America. How do you make money off of doing whatever this is? Where's the money at? If it's not making you money, then it's not successful. I remember some years ago, let's say oh, six, seven years ago, I was asked a fair question. That, that fair question was, hey, you seem to like video games. Have you considered streaming them? That's all I've considered it, but, uh, you know, you need a little better hardware. And they just called me up and said, because you can make money doing that. You can just make money doing what you already do. <laughs> I can totally see how an outside perspective could reinterpret what's happening here purely as a turning idle time into a profit stream. Chucks, I think you and many others know that's not all there is to it. And in the very early days of monetized streaming, for a brief moment, the content you created might have had quality and that mattered. But very quickly, the market's attention spans were co-opted by formulae, such as cleavage, trendy lighting, very specific content that was current, and little by little, as you see very much on Twitch, a lot of people streaming with zero to one viewers. And their shit could be fantastic, but you'd never know because it's a seas of zeros and ones, and the eyeballs usually go by very direct interest to certain properties. And then most of the eyeballs go to not even the guilty pleasures, but wherever the current is. Where, where is everyone else looking? Wow, this one, I'll go over here. 
So after Daddy Bezos gets his cut, who gets paid? The top 200 people. Which is tragic because there are 2 million people streaming. Yep. So again, the, the, the pitch the person was making was as well-meaning as it was uninformed. Well, why don't you just do this for this? Because I would rather do it because I believe in it. And I want to present it. And I want to do something that is expressive and evocative, not only of my nature, but other people that can relate. Or at least introduce something to someone else that stimulates a thought or two or five, and then it creates growth. I think you would prefer, if this were a little column A, little column B situation, for practical reasons. Yeah, I would. Hmm. But if part A doesn't ever happen, does part B die right then and there? Yes. Yes? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Because if the resources are available and it's a, it's a lost leader of a venue, I say part B holds up fine on its own if it is sincere to what it's doing. Unless, of course, it's a cynical ploy to get money dollars the entire time. Because if it's not profitable, yeah, sure, if it can't be afforded anymore, then I guess that goes away for a while or forever. But if you have the means to keep it running at cost, and you realize no additional dollars, in fact, negative dollars, will result from this, do you just stop doing it because no money's going to happen? No, if you enjoy it as a passion, you keep doing it. But you just said yes. You just said Part B dies. Then I misinterpreted. Is... I'm sorry. It's okay. But basically, the, for a second, I was worried. Yeah, if that's a board meeting, that's that's all we care about. Mm, future projected profits. <laughs> but still, when you get those individuals who are trying to escape stress, and they're trying to make their lives make sense in a rigid box of dollars in, dollars out, they're not cognizant of their behaviors that evoke the same behaviors you're doing and I'm doing, which is creative outlets, analysis, the solution of frustrations, finding harmony and peace, maybe learning something here and there. I mean, you could very much direct yourself as solely, only ever obtaining skills that are used to do or make something. Like, the only reason you know how to work wood is because you figured out that whittling can help you sell a few things in the off-season. You could put together furniture, which is cheaper, and maybe if you put enough resources, eventually you can sell it. So there's sort of a byproduct. There's a guy that I've seen who figured out how to make planter boxes. And for the whole summer, he made planter boxes. I'm sure each one cost him 150 bucks to make, probably selling them for four times that much. But that guy decided, whether for cynical or practical purposes, I'm going to make these things all season long, and then I'll have an extra chunk of change. You hope. You hope that chunk of change went to something nourishing to his spirit, and not just the next grift. And then, of course, arguably, that is how things are done. That is how polite society operates. Someone finds a craft or an industry and commits their waking hours and capacities to pursue that process. And if they're never, ever, ever betrayed by the very same system they subscribe to, happy day. Lived a good life, you may die in peace. Maybe even a pension. Just kidding, those aren't real. Also. Weren't we supposed to run out of Social Security about the same time the oil ran out five years ago? Well, we were supposed to run out of Social Security like 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, that's, I'm sure that's unrelated. So, again, grim stuff. Life is real. I get it. This is in part why I choose to pursue things like storytelling, 
like entertainment, like crafts. And I even thought about this the other day. I think the reason it appeals to me to have legacy-type board games, which are still very much in their infancy of being tested in a live play audience, is it's a little bit like doing a group gunpla kit. It's going to take some time. We all get to pitch in, and by the end, we've created something. Maybe not what was in the box, but we made something together. As opposed to a, a nice, pleasant game of um, Splendor, where points were earned, everyone shook hands and went home. I'm sure that does not become a memorable experience to them, the same way it does to me. So it's, it's self-centered, but it's honest, would you say? It is. It's an honest, that, honest going. You said you had a group you were trying to play D&D with. Is that, is that still happening? No. I haven't heard from them since about a year ago. But if that were on the table, would you want to keep going? Yeah. See, that's the thing. Like, I would... Are there online D&D groups? Of course, but it's not the same. Oh, it's not. You can do it. and You have to get a, a dice bot and a bunch of other stuff. There are, there are multiple mediums that exist. It's just the human drift of attention is much more obvious. Being respectful sitting at a table with an eyeball distance of everybody else is not the same as having a web client with a face cam on. As you can tell when somebody's clearly browsing their phone or off on a different tab because the, the effort is right there. It's so easy. Just do that. And if someone doesn't have the right update, something doesn't work out, it's, it's the same as somebody didn't bring their dice. Workarounds exist. But unless you really like the material, and people like that are out there, I, I will suffer a group of hooligans for the sake of the story that's being told. I could do that. Not everybody else could do that. If you're not engaged, if you're not gripped, especially if the person running the story is annoyed, oh, that, that shit collapses quickly. Good groups are hard to find. And here's the thing. If, um, if you want somebody to leave your group, there's a big difference between kicking, kicking somebody out of your house and just closing out their connection. It's almost trivial. Yeah, that's true. So your investment is also highly limited by, oh, this thing that's happening. Okay. Yeah, no, I would li like I said, I would like to do D&D &D again. Uh, we got the setup, but I would, I would like to actually play it, go out and talk and see how it goes. And But I have never met anybody that... I haven't met anybody recently that's willing to play D&D. &D. Or another uh, system of interaction with other people where collective storytelling takes place. D&D &D is just the one... It's, it's, it's the big will on the market, and not for bad reasons either, but almost like the most accessible system. I find myself slightly withdrawn from the appeals of D&D, &D, in part because in becoming a broader audience, it has become shallower, and people kind of want to play it like an MMO, like World of Warcraft. Actual storytelling is on the back burner compared to your cool-ass character with their fantastical equipment and personality quirks fighting badass monsters, which is where it started, don't get me wrong. It, it was story comes second to four gruff-looking characters digging their way into a darkest dungeon, if you will, looking to extract some loots and avoid the traps and not get killed by the big monster. But we've also grown a lot in terms of what is capable and possible. And of course, as we talked about before, um, different groups have different needs. 
in terms of what they find to be entertaining. And if you're all trusting of each other, you can have a pretty good time finding a happy medium in between of uh, adhering to whatever's happening and just fucking around like friends do. It's only... It's like the transparency thing. If it's obvious to me that no one cares what we're doing and we're just spending time, I have a worse time and I get disengaged. I'm not saying everyone get your game face on, get in there and do this right. That's an unrealistic expectation. I'm not here to run bots. I'm here to interact with people. But you gotta curtail your group so you're just invested enough into what's happening, but you can also crack off a joke because, oh, dude, that one time that Billy did the aw, oh, you remember? Yeah, that was great. Although, frankly, it does get a little bit annoying if you're sitting in with a group that's been together for a while, and every fourth thing that happens, they refer to a different game where you weren't there. <laughs> Nostalgia has a time and place. Please, can we focus on the now and not the four campaigns ago we did that one cool thing? Cox, you told the story five times. Stop it. No, no, no. You're good. Are you, uh, you doing okay, buddy? You I'm doing down? fine. No, no, I'm doing fine. I'm just... I'm, I'm looking over things and what you were talking about, so sorry. I may not sound engaged, but I am listening at the same time. You have, you have to click louder. Uh, I can talk a little more about my time with Hollow Knight. Uh, you can if you want. That's up to you. I mean, I, I have hopped into a couple new games recently. Let's. I'll talk a bit about Hollow Knight. Not too much. I'm not finished with it yet, and I don't know what finish looks like. And I'm kind of in between using guides to wrap things up but I don't know what wrapping things up really looks like, and the game lies to me a little bit. For it, it will say, yay, you visited every location there's a map for. So then I found a location there wasn't a map for. It was brand new. And now it is chock full of terrifying uh, platforming puzzles, which I can navigate, but they're stressful because they're, they're devious Super Meat Boy-style affairs. So I don't enjoy my way through them, I suffer through them. But then the game is really happy and uplifting. Like, I found all of the grubs scattered through the world and trapped, and I brought them back to Grub Papa, and there's a large cocoon chamber where the grubs are happily flailing their happy cartoon bodies inside their domiciles. And it's a quiet corner where the cruelty and abandoned notion of this world have not yet corrupted it. Although they might, depending. Uh, I haven't played very much Metroid or Castlevania. This maybe is one of the more involved ones compared to Rogue, Rogue Legacy and such, where there's a sense of knowledge of what this game world is now. And I haven't found all of its secrets, but I found a, a decent chunk. And at the very long last, I had climbed the equipment progression ladder in this game sufficiently high that navigating the world isn't stressful. I have enough maneuvering and combat tools to be able to resolve a lot of the challenges smoothly, remembering remember when it took you four times to smack that guy, you doing a very awkward jump and then you just had to like keep falling back down that was a super pain in the ass well now you can double jump, hit him once and he's gone so threat dealt with just go. That does feel comforting that feels satisfying there are particular highly artistic events and milieus that I enjoy witnessing, but there are no answers given no direct answers, at least yet, and probably won't be because we're doing the Dark Souls thing where the story is fed through cryptic phrases, but you can infer. And for example, there's a place very deep down below where you expected the bottom to be, 
where you're given a key by someone far away from where that area even is. And you plummet lower, falling a alarming distance as a character, but not dying, because fall damage doesn't kill you, only spikes do. And there's an ocean of darkness. It's hard to say what the fuck is happening, but there are hands leeching and rising from where the water should be. Ghostly shapes. And they want to drown you. But there is a lighthouse. And once you ascend past the phantoms into the lighthouse, you can light it. And in doing so, you quell a span of what looks to be dark water. Pirates of dark water, in fact. And you can then travel to where the map will end, which is a set of caves, which has a very Giger-esque skeleton of a bug creature holding a chalice that overflows with inky blackness. And without instruction, I mean, you, this seems pretty significant as far as a feature in a chamber. If you were to jump into the chalice, then the darkness suffuses your character, which doesn't kill you. In fact, it grants you an ability you might have been curious about, which is the ability to cross threshold barriers of blackness that the game simply refused to let you through before. So, good job, Samus. You unlocked a new key for new doors. So then the game implies, doesn't tell you, but it implies maybe you should go check out what's behind those barriers you couldn't get to before. And most of what you find are occasionally helpful things and a whole slew of challenging things. I am very much still enjoying using the dream nail mechanic, which now apparently has awoken to its final state, but fuck if I know what that actually means. It promises that I can now delve into more protected mines except for when I found titanic creatures that are still around in this world, they haven't said anything more to me. So I don't know if that's a design oversight, or if, or if the words mean something else they aren't saying. It's a little frustrating, but I can roll with it. I'm still... Since there's new things to find, but they're slower because I've seen so much more of the world, of the world map now, I'm tempted to read ahead and use a guide and to find all the culverts and the secrets. At the same time, I still know there are a few challenges I can face down directly just to get good, to get past a boss or two that are optional, but finding them is part of the fun, right? Yeah. But now, instead of being an artful dodger, I've come to a place where I can just about DPS rush down a lot of creatures. Like, you got these uh, regular enemies in one area, the city of the, of the game. Big chubby fuckers with shields and long-reaching swords. And the game's first time, it, it taught you about those kinds of enemies before, blockers and big dudes. Usually you can just run away, jump over them, and not even bother, because they have a lot of hit points. When you start wanting to fight them, and you can from the, from the very beginning, you have to bait them into lowering their shield to strike with their sword, and they'll strike once or twice. And every time they strike you, that will take off two pips of your health, and you have a starting pool of five pips. So that shit hurts. And if you want to hit them, you have to either jump over them when they're doing this window and avoid the backswing and hit them in the back, or dive in, poke them in the belly, and dive back out before the blows land. So some skill is involved, and it takes a, takes a pretty minute. They have a lot of hit points. Now, with the equipment that I've gotten, I can pretty much dive through them to their ass, hit them four or five times very quickly in about a second and a half, and they go down. So my relationship with those enemies has changed. Similarly, there are bosses that had left off before that there are optimal strategies of how to beat them, and some of them require more skill, more platforming, 
But you know what else works? Get in their face, mash the attack, hit them as hard as you can, as fast as you can, back off once or twice to heal, maybe. And then the boss creature is resolved. You're good to go. Which feels cheaper, but at the same time, that is kind of the Dark Souls effect, where things that were super difficult to begin with are now easier both because you know how to play better and your numbers are better. Hmm. And I don't know how I feel about the game ending because I have a lot of unresolved questions and I don't want to go wiki diving to get them to finish out. And now the few last people that I haven't seen that are still uh, around, they're starting to say stuff like, yeah, man, yeah, man, one of two endings. You got to make the decision. But I'm missing operative information because I don't, I don't know enough. So I guess I'm having my second soul's experience. Uh, that is one of the guys I'm talking about. Okay. I didn't want to interrupt it, your talk while, I'm, while I was listening. It's okay. I, same principle. Principle being window to hurt the enemy very short, uh, and the guy will come after you, but you're going to have issues. So I, I very much enjoy my experience with Hollow Knight, and I'm enjoying it rolling itself out gradually to me. Uh, one of the cutest things that occurred was... I mentioned I think I saved a chubby bug girl in a chamber. She came back to town. And there's no mechanical function that I can tell that this character provides in the game. She either sits coyly on the town bench and will nervously look away whenever you're around. If you're facing a different direction, she'll look after you. Notice me, senpai. If you sit on the bench next to her, the bug will blush. Clearly she likes you. If you uh, read her private thoughts... With your dream nail, it's all, oh, he's so close. My, my hero is next to me. And she also has written fan fiction about your fan character, about your character. <laughs> if you go into the, the hut she occupies, and if you go to, yeah, yeah, I like those guys. If when you go to speak to her, you can't. You read the diary, it's, it's romantic fan fiction. If you smack her with a dream nail again, which is not a euphemism for penetration, uh, her thoughts read out as, my hero, so close to me, staying home, cold outside. So, it's cheeky. It's kind of pleasant to have someone pining after you, I suppose. But the reality also is your character hasn't spoken, hasn't said anything. It's all through actions, and those actions are mostly slaying things. So the world winds down around you, and there's clearly there's been a big problem with the kingdom. And it sure feels like the people in charge of the kingdom basically turned off all the lights, shored up all the doors, and said, this shit stays locked up in here. And the more you delve deeper and open up and try and discover, the more it seems like there are a few survivors, almost everyone is ghosts, and you really shouldn't have opened that door. But there's no certain answers, so it depends on how much you enjoy having a mystery told to you in pieces that doesn't really have a clear definition, at least until the end, I don't know. But I can say that... I very much enjoyed the exploration and the flavor and the music and the art of this world. And now that it's drawing to a close, maybe, I don't know how soon, uh, the clock did say it was 50 hours in. I don't think I, if I left it running, I was maybe, maybe five hours, maybe, but I usually suspended the game. That's a decent chunk of change as far as game time. Uh, I think it's what, 25 bucks, 30 bucks? Uh, let's, let's find see. out. But notion being, I celebrate what this team accomplished. I even 
caught wind. Fifteen dollars. Wow. I found out that there is a um, a, a backer's secret room that you can get into and then read the uh, the backer's well wishes. Maybe there were top support tiers. Hard to say. But the studio that put this out there, I'm I'm very fond of the work they created. I just also know it's not for everyone. And this makes me wonder, will I enjoy Ori and the blah 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 nearly as much when it's time to look into that? Because artsy platformer is a genre, and this is a artsy platformer souls. And I hear Celeste is really good too for different reasons, but just much like Parasite, they don't say anything about the game. They just say, do just play it. So I feel joy when I get to experience games that clearly are made with care and intent. But every now and then, if I don't feel like I'm getting the message to its entirety, I wonder what I'm missing out on. That's why I have to turn to other voices saying, eh, go ahead and read me a 27-minute essay about Hollow Knight. And I might find it very insightful. Uh, so uh, by accident, uh, I went to type in Hollow Knight. Instead, it gave me Halloween Night. And I'm looking at like a cheesy N64 ripoff of a game, of a hack and slash game. But some reason piques my interest at the same time. Okay. Can you express why that is? Oh no, I guess it's uh, reminiscent of back in the days when, uh, well, the, so if you look at the videos or anything of the sort while it's playing, um, it does reminisce you back of the N64. I enjoy the N64 games a lot. Uh, you can clearly tell it was made by one guy, uh, Chris Patton. It is not going to be a good game. I don't know what the story's <laughs> about, but it just, you play as a kid is what it looks like. And you got a wooden sword. It just looks as like if it was a cheap, cheesy game that no matter what you do, it's almost like uh, Murder House that I played. Like, it's intentionally done in a cheesy format, but you're going to have fun while you're doing it. Um, the background is a pale gray, so there's no sky. Nothing was developed. It uh, you <clears throat> Are you pulling it up at all? Is it Halloween night? Halloween night. K-N-I-G-H-T, not N-I-G-H-T. I found um, hentai Halloween. Is that the same thing? Uh, close enough, I guess. <laughs> no, but uh, for this, it just looks like it's going to be like really bad and really cheesy, but you're going to have fun while you're doing it. Let's see what the one review says. Uh, not recommend. I have been searching for a few Halloween games to play as I enjoy the hol holiday. However, this is by far the worst one I've found. Uh, it complains about the price. Uh, saying it should have cost a dollar. No audio or music at all, probably because he couldn't afford it. Uh, the tutorial and story modes are uh, locked despite the game not even being an early access title. Yeah, so essentially this guy is just ripping it apart. Uh, but it's someone's first game. They just created a game for shits and giggles and just assumed, hey, screw it. I'll put it out there for a little bit and see how it does. And good on the guy. It's four or five years old. That's fair. It looks like a PS1 uh, aesthetic rip, for sure. Uh, but it sounds like he would have had a better time if he got Hentai Halloween. Yeah, I, I got the soundtrack to Hentai Halloween pulled up for some reason. I don't know why the... <laughs> Theme is a mysterious beast these days. Indeed. What are some of the games you've tried, Chucks? Uh, I've, I've been going old school. Uh, so everything for me, I've been playing Batman Arkham City again. Uh, Resident Evil 4, picked that up for the umpteenth million time. Uh, as you guys are watching, if you're watching it on YouTube, uh, Res 
Resident Evil Odyssey, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Battlefield 1 is also something I have been playing. Um, on top of Back for Blood, which I've gotten a little farther in. I've gotten to finally got to Act 2 a little bit. And uh, it is, it's getting better. Game's still hard. Uh, I played with four real-life people again. I played in a party. And it even on rookie mode or recruit, it is still difficult on that. Um, I picked up Assassin's Creed Odyssey again because I enjoy the exploration on this one and the Greek mythology behind it. Syndicate, I like that it's more compact map and you get to play as two characters. And the, the story is in Victorian era, so more of a modern time. So you get to deal with pistols and uh, different weapons while also trying to control a gang. Uh, Arkham City is just a good game in Battlefield 1. It's because it's World War 1 and I want to see if I remember, if I enjoyed as much as I do. And uh, so far I have playing single player. What I understand, the Battlefield 1 campaign was quite good in yeah. terms of combat variety. Indeed, yeah. So you got one mission that you get to play as tank. Uh, you get three sections in each mission. Uh, so you do your starter mission where you all, well, no matter what character you are, you're going to die. Um, so it keeps progressing. So it teaches you how to play as you go through. One yeah, mission. I remember you were, you were really excited about that as a as a featured mechanic, and I said, "Chucks, there's no way." No, dude. Like every time you're like a different soldier, so when you die, you play as somebody else. Chucks, Chucks, that's a marketing stunt. It is. It's, it's a like marketing stunt. Sequent. You, were, I, I'm pretty sure it was you. You were it was. so convinced. And I thought, ah, this poor boy. What do I tell him? Like, yeah, that's a cool idea, but there's just no fucking way. It would be nice. But yeah, no. So in the beginning, you do, you, you go through, you hop through person through person to go through different scenarios. So you learn each each little mechanic. It's like a little tutorial that you learn. Um, uh, as, a, as a tank round, going through person through person. Indeed. <laughs> You're a tank round, uh, 80, milli 80 millimeter howitzer just getting blasted out of the end of a tank. Uh, and you're just ripping through like 40 people. Uh, Battlefield 1, though, I, I played as uh, the Australian. Uh, I played as the pilot. And I played a little bit as the female from uh, the Turkish uh, front who's supposed to be helping Lawrence of Arabia. I have enjoyed it so far. Um, very difficult because I don't know what I'm doing because it's on PC. And I'm trying to mix between controller and keyboard. Oh, don't do that. Just go all Wazda. Uh, yeah, but I sucked. So uh, I, I tried practicing before. I recorded what little recordings I have of it, and it was bad, so I stuck with uh, playing on the uh, controller. Same with Odyssey, yep, playing on the controller, too. To, bo to borrow from Mr. Tex. Yeah, those Australians are crazy. Back in World War One. they marched through mustard gas and said it was spicy wind. <laughs> that, that sounds about something like the Australians would do. Um, I... I think you like Odyssey and Syndicate for a very simple reason, and I'm going to be very redactive, and it's not actually true. Uh, those are the ones with boats and trains in them. That's the best part of any real game, boats and trains. I thought it was boats and hose. Uh, you, you said you enjoy the exploration in Odyssey. Is there a specific part of exploration that you enjoy? Yeah, so uh, the, when I picked up, picked up Odyssey, I was just pl plowing through the campaign, and then they were like, oh, you have mythical weapons you have hercules is a, a mace that he has or his club uh you have poseidon's trident so and they, i was like i gotta find all these and that was fun oh by the way you gotta you can fight medusa and uh you could have to fight the nemean lion and i'm like 
all right, I just, I, I'm just here to kill all the, the mythical creatures and find all the mythical items there are. Let's go fuck up a Cyclops. And then I went to fight the Cyclops, like level 20. Boom, level 48. Well, fuck out of here with this one. I'll be back later. The numbers said no. <laughs> Essentially, and I'm like, nope, nope, nope. And it, what piqued my interest was it's very early in the game when you go uh, do a side mission where you, there's a guy stranded on a boat. The island he's stranded on is like the like the Lost Island or something. That's what it's called. Um, you can dive down and all of a sudden you hear rattling and you hear like something walking by. And I'm like, there's no way in hell there's a Cyclops or a Minotaur. So I looked it up and that's how I got onto it because I didn't get Odyssey until you. When did the hell did Odyssey come out? Two years ago. I think it's. Yeah, two or three. Yeah, uh, almost three. Three years ago now. So I didn't get it until I moved down here. So that was a year after this game came out. Uh-huh. But it was almost content complete. Oh, no, that would actually... Yeah, right when I moved down here. So 2019. Uh, almost content complete. So when I found out about it, there was a bunch of videos. And I'm just like, I'm going to dive into this. I'm going to find all the mythical weapons. And that's what I did. And I enjoyed that part. But I got to see... The crazy things done, what they did was the, the Greek world. Um, it's a huge map. It takes a while to travel from one spot to the other if you don't have fast travel on. But I enjoyed not, it. Nonetheless. Not that slow. Oh, it's not, it's not terribly slow. Don't get me wrong. But it's it's like, man, if I'm just sitting there traveling, going travel speed, it's going to take me a minute. Yeah, I didn't maybe. really, I didn't really <laughs> care about the, uh, the Peloponnesian War part of it. Like... At this time, I already knew who literally won the Peloponnesian War in real life. So I was like, well, I don't care. So I'm just going to go around and if whatever happens, happens. Interesting. It's yeah. funny to have you say, oh, the reason I got into the game is the mid and end game content. But like the vast majority of it, not really, not really there for that kind of business. Oh, I... <laughs> the game is convinced you should be because it, it number gates all the stuff you want to see. Yeah, you can get all the mythical stuff. I got all the mythical stuff early in the game, like 10 hours in. The game's like a 40 to 90 hour game, supposedly. Getting that stuff early is a thorough mistake because I don't think the levels are fixed. I think they scale to you. They do. So please enjoy never using those magical weapons ever again. Oh, no, I did. I boosted all of them up. Uh-huh. I just kept grinding. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep grinding, and I'm gonna keep doing it, and I need to get these up. And so I would just sit in one spot and like kill shit, fight the lions. I kept wanting to do all the side missions and not really get. I, I stopped giving a fuck. Uh, once they killed uh, the little girl Phoebe, I was like, nope, fuck you guys. I'm like that's this is pretty decent far in the game. I'm just like, no, fuck, fuck you guys. This is terrible. You killed the little girl off for no reason. Go to hell. Well, they killed her for drama, and it took me a very long time to even get that far. Yeah, because I I did what the game implied I should do, which is go engage the world and boost your number. So I did, and it took a good minute. And I I can tell you it's not worth it, but I needed to see what a hundred percent looked like. So that's what happened. Oh, what's really interesting when you hit the level cap, the champion enemies will still be higher level than you because it's designed to be tense and exciting, which is tense and exciting for the first fifteen hours. Not so much afterwards. You're looking for every possible skip strategy you could. And the way I spec my character, I did not go for the crazy good throw spearhead skill. Because that is an amazing tool to level up early. And that will save you a lot of time with all the camps, all the people you got to deal with. 
Talking so about the, the rush assassin skill? Yeah. Uh, Shucks, do you, do you want to describe it? Because it's it's ludicrous. Yeah, so you can be at a certain spot when you find an enemy. He throws the spear, instantly transfor- transports over there, and rips the spear out and assassinates the character. Or NPC. Rips? No, it's not a spear. It's just the head of a spear. It's, spear. Very it's the, the head of the spear of Leonidas's. Does, doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Yes, but that's not actually not accurate. The spear predates him, and the, the spear continued after him. But, point being, it's a, it's a large metal spearhead that you throw at a person from, let's say, up to 60 feet away. You hurl it so hard, it rips through the person's torso, but it's still embedded. So then your character, with all the gumption of Achilles, instant transport Kamehameha's next to the person, and then continues to pull the spearhead through the person. And the spearhead is very ornate, so it has uh, flanges and shit on the sides, especially when it's upgraded further. And then you could chain that to other people up to three times normally, or some more if you do some more cool stuff. And the reason this is a sticking point is because Far Cry 3 sold really well one time, and it had the chain takedown with machete skill, and Ubisoft never forgot, and they put it in as often as they could everywhere else. Now, I understand what this game is, and when I discovered very early on that you can't die from fall damage, I was pretty excited. I was happy to see that they're giving you all the possible incentives to go explore aggressively. But then at some point, that's a lot of oatmeal. It's a whole lot of oatmeal. And if you're trying to comb through every little piece in place to get your number high enough to go elsewhere in the world, I mean, maybe 35 will do it, but by being thorough, I was I was up there in the 90s, I want to say. I believe I did all the DLC content already with the number at max, but it's been a while ago. So, Chucks, uh, I understand and respect that you want to go after the accent points of what this story is. And it's very comical to say, ah, I don't care about the part where there's a story with people. I want the beasties. And there's no mention yet of Elysium, Asphodel, and the other one. Hades? Uh, what are you talking about? The, the places you can go? Yes. Yeah. Wait. Um, Tartarus, Elysium, Asphodel, and yeah, uh, Hades would be the whole area. So, that afterworld material is interesting. I don't know how, if you get to it, how you feel about it. Artistically speaking, big fan. If you're going for get all the things, I would say don't, but that is your choice. And I, I'm very curious how you'll be able to look at the sum of your experience because in Assassin's Creed Syndicate, there was less to do because the world was more compact. It still had, let's call them time waster mechanics. Go find all the things for marginal rewards just so you feel better. But the activities, I, I think I enjoy taking over the burrows every single time because that little piece of Saints Row nostalgia still lives within me. So it's not just go take their ship, it's get them out of our neighborhood so that our guys patrol there. So in the middle of fights, you might get some cool reinforcements. And there's a cool train. And I felt attached to the ship. Not quite a trireme, but still. The ship that was in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. As you do as well. Because you get to customize it and find things for it. And that just makes me remember how good Black Flag is. That is but a good one too. You're, the, the, the cherry picking involved in 
what makes Odyssey good for you is very comedic to me. You have a good point. You have a very good point. But dismissing the game and the Peloponnesian War, it's kind of like saying, yeah, I don't like, I don't like it, uh, the story in Syndicate because I know who wins, capitalism. I know who wins in that too. Uh, yes, and you were correct. It is capitalism. Uh, don't get me wrong. I like the story. It's just I got to a point where I was like, man, I need to get my mind off of it. Then I just got so excited, like legendary weapons like Poseidon's hammer or Poseidon's trident. And I'm just like, I got to find all these fuckers. Like I wanted to be like Pokemon. I'm going to catch all of them. And then I was like, well, I got all of them. Now what do I do? I got to fuck up all the damn legendary animals. You don't got to, but it's a quest line. So I guess you got to. No, yeah. And then, then I was like, well, I can bang Artemis's head lady. I'm like, I'm going to try banging this chick. You don't see anything. I mean, any of them. But I was just like, yeah, it's cool. So I just I, kept just making stupid little side quests. And I'm like, you know, there's a story in here, and I know I can do it. But I'm having more fun doing this other dumb stuff. I found the the horniness to be fairly aggressive and pretty shallow. It is. I'm not saying people aren't DTF. I'm not saying that. But in terms of... It, it sure feels like check-a-box representation. Hey, 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 it doesn't matter if it's a boy or a girl. You can do whatever, kids. And it's it's the titillation that would have worked much better when I was 15. Because, yeah. ooh, ooh, somebody likes me. But in reality, it, it's comical. I need that blacksmith's help. Well, you got to do something for me. How about I grease your pole? How about, yeah. Is it good for you, too? <laughs> eh, honestly, a throwaway experience, but thanks anyway. No, uh, no, it's worse than uh, uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So I hear, and once again, the the gender politics don't really really apply here. No. And again, I just I have a really really hard time justifying the approach to your player can be either character gender, but then canonically it's one or the other. But Ivor is such a versatile name. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Just real quick. What makes you think that boy Ivor and girl Ivor would live any kind of the same life? Are you saying that that's completely equivalent? Like, same skill trees, same abilities, same inclinations? Well, yeah, that's the story. Uh-huh. I don't think you understand how this gender thing works, but thank you for being inclusive anyway, I suppose. Yeah, because uh, in both the last three, the oh, no, uh, Odyssey and in Valhalla, uh, the main character is supposed to be female, both the female characters. That's the true canonical story. Uh, sounds all like narrative, not canon. Uh, that's what they came out as. Like, oh, the, the comic books have said the female Eivor is the correct Eivor, and that's how it's supposed to be. And it's like, okay. And even though back then, you're not really going to see a female-led band of raiders. Very yeah, what rare. you're saying is, canonically speaking, we wrote stories where the main character is a maniacal, murdering asshole. But for Hearth and Home, though, <laughs> that she could aspire to nothing better. Life was hard, I'm gonna murder all these sons bitches and all the animals and burn down their homes and take all their shit for my people. I, you know, it's, it's very curious to me because we can talk a little bit about how, quote, the world works, arrangement-wise, and gender politics. Uh, do you suppose... If if women were physically dominant over men, 
would the men become meek and cowardly and uh, and scheming, and the women would just brute people around and say, "Ah, you there, man, come here, put baby in me." I I really would rather not. Shut up! You don't get a choice. Do you think that that would happen? Is it just a matter of who holds uh, apparent advantage? Yeah, I would say that pro- that might have happened. Interesting. Okay. Hey, weirdly enough, in Valhalla and in Odyssey, um, why don't are why aren't there like like Last of Us Part Two Abbeys more around? There's like one very large she pirate. Uh, but then what about the giant hulks with the helmets and the armor? Um, clearly physically massive human beings. Those are girls too, right? I guess I don't know. Yeah, it's it's not it's not there for debate. This isn't the, the focus of the game, but just. Because it's shallow and pandering, at least in my perception, saying something like, well, you know, canonically speaking, uh, the girl is the character. Not I mean. Okay, so but who are you white knighting for? I, I don't think the discerning audience will be that interested. Mm-hmm. Also, if that is the case, where's the black character? Isn't that more relatable to your experience? Yeah, well, where's the Mediterranean hero? with whatever uh, caricature elements you want to attach to super sincerely say, we heard you, and here you go. Also, they're trans. <laughs> it, it's complete pandering. It is. Don't get me wrong, it is. And I, I, when it came out, I remember reading the article last year that uh, pissed a lot of people off. Uh, a lot of... Uh, well, there was one female writer who got upset saying that it didn't feel... Uh, because the character was a, she's a lesbian, and her character was the character she played was female. That she got upset that maybe this isn't the correct canonical way it goes, and it's actually a man. And so none of my stuff really matters in that game. I'm like, it's a fucking video game. Well, you none say of it that. fucking matters. Again, you say that none of it matters because you feel like it doesn't stick, even though it does. So being utterly dismissive kind of puts you back to it's a, it's just some shit to do. It doesn't matter. That could be true. But if you assign meaning to something, then maybe it's more personal to you. We can turn this onto things that you enjoy. I'm not saying I'm, this is not, I'm, I'm not standing for Assassin's Creed of any capacity. I have fondness for them. But they just be super adaptive. It's, it's more like a response to, lady, you're taking this a little bit too personally. It's not that it doesn't matter. It matters to you to a certain degree. Just try and be balanced about the impression that it makes for you. I would I would offer that perspective. That's kind because of how I, that's actually really how I look at it. Like there, it matters, but it you got to have a balance to it. And this is not a studio or company that is there to deliver significant differences because it kind of makes you wish a little bit that Evie Fry would play more different than Jacob Fry, because this is a game. One game after the studio said. It'd be too expensive to create female player assets for Liberty, not Liberty. It was. Um, which, of course, turned out to be untrue, but they spun a story anyway. And they said, look, look, you get to play as a girl. But it wasn't interchange of characters. It was two character stories. And by and large, it is Evie's story. Jacob Fry is mostly there just knocking heads and not being particularly interested or useful in anything that's plot-related. He shows up, he bashes heads, and the co-op missions are nice. But isn't that even more satisfying? Because they're two distinct characters on a journey together along with their uh, Hindi friend? 
as opposed to, you could be either boy or girl in the story. That's really code for, okay, so the story doesn't matter. <laughs> Everything that happens here is a set of plot progressions, not a development of the character. Well, yeah. But if you write off the story, you can say, okay, I'm just here for the sweet gameplay, right? And the mind goblins. Don't forget the mind goblins. Mind goblins? Then, mind goblins, yeah, man. They're real. I didn't know they were real. I always heard about them. It's, it's, well, you, you have them too. We just haven't covered what they are as much. Yeah. It's whatever makes you flip out. Like when somebody uses the wrong form of your. No, that doesn't bother me. I make that okay. mistake. We'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll come across something. I'll be sure to say, ah, Chucks, I found one. Found one of your mind goblins. It's a little bit like I was done having fun playing this Resident Evil entry on the third playthrough. The next seven that followed are because I have to finish it. Okay. That is a mind goblin. I just enjoy them. That's not what you said. Once you were nine replays in, I just gotta, I just gotta get through it. Oh, I did. Well, yeah, no. nine replays in. I enjoy them at first, and then it's like, well, now I gotta do all these achievements. God damn it. Yeah, the part where you tell yourself, well, now I gotta do this, making a compact, saying this, I could be having more fun with something else, but I have to. That's a mind goblin. But I have fun up until about the ninth playthrough. Like I know better. I gotta, I gotta cut myself off about seven, seven of them. Seven playthroughs in, and I, I need to cut myself off. Okay. You're not prepared to have this conversation. That's okay. I sprung it on you. It's not fair. We'll talk about this when it's more apparent to you. Okay. Of just what you're suffering from mind goblins. Mind Garfield, you can't walk on two legs. Oh, I didn't know that. And he just falls down. Both his legs shatter. Yeah. <laughs> if I never brought it up, you would have been happier. And then John, just the happiest day of his life. I got to go put him down. Lasagna eating bastard. Okay, darker than I was going to go, but I like it. <laughs> so, aside from the uh, battlefields and the Assassin's Creed's, sort of, they still count for the most part. Mm -hmm. Anything else that has been gaming adjacent for you? Uh, Batman Arkham City. And you said that was a return for you. I never actually got to play it, but for you, it's a repeat. Yes, I have. Uh, I own it on. I own the remaster on Xbox One. I never played it on that, but I played it on 360 like three or four times, and I 100%ed it once. I and see. I enjoy the game. Even though the combat is constantly repetitive, I enjoy the world and seeing the story and how I, well, when I 100%ed it, that's how I did it. This time, it's like, I want to see, it's me going back going, I wonder if I'm going to have as much fun as I did when I was like 20. When I played that's this a tall, game. That's a tall ask. It's I mean, possible. Res Resident Evil 4 still, every time I play Resident Evil 4, I still enjoy it. I want to buy it next month when it comes out on VR, but I'm not spending $400 to get a VR headset to play it. <laughs> it's the one time I won't be able to get it on a console. At no, least I'm, for now. Yeah, for now. But uh, Bat I'm, sure. I, I, I'm going back to Batman because when I played it for the cast uh, a few months ago, uh, no, about a month ago, I was like, yeah, I forgot how this was a pretty fun game. Easy combat system to get used to. Very repetitive. Um, puzzles are simple. But then you have the Joker challenges and finding all the hidden stuff throughout the world to get all the points to enhance Batman. I wish you could swap out characters. I wish you could play Tim Drake Robin or Dick Grayson Nightwing 
Uh, you can with Selena Kyle as Catwoman a couple times, but they're just automatically care, you know, penciled in sections that you just have to follow through with. Um, but I like that the world expanded out from Arkham Asylum because Arkham Asylum was so tiny. This one's a little bit bigger. Uh, Wait, are we talking about city or night? Oh, did I say night? I meant city. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay, I thought, I don't remember there being any Catwoman content on night. No, no, Arkham yeah. City. Yeah, you get to play, her, play as her twice. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry it's, if I said you, night. And you can uh, end the game prematurely. You can, then it makes you rewind and go all the way back and like, all right, fuckface, choose the right one. You're like, okay. I did choose the right one. Take the money and run. That's the right choice. If you're playing as, yeah, for Selena Kyle, that's the right choice. But, I thought you wanted a roleplay game. Don't let me don't let me play as Catwoman and expect me to just, you know, let it slide by and me not play as her. Um and I wanted to get all the calendar man stuff that goes on. Uh, I doubt that I will. I don't know if you know about the calendar man achievement. I do. And most people just reset their console clock to whatever they feel is necessary to make that happen. Yeah, I'm on the computer though this time, so. I'm sure there's something you can do. Oh, there probably is. I'm not too worried about that one. But I got most of the achievements I went through and the calendar man stuff? Calendar man stuff? Mind, mind goblin. Mind goblin? For you? No, just for you. I I gotta do it. What does this give you? It gives me completion. Yeah, but how does that enhance your abilities? It doesn't. But you're still gonna do it? Yes. Nope. Okay. Got it. I didn't Something do that. You... I said fuck it. That was the one thing okay. I just said fuck it to. I was just like, nah, I'm not worried about it. I got you. Okay. But I, I wanted to 100% it. It was one of the few games that I've 100%ed playing the inner inner game with because that's just an achievement. It doesn't affect anything in that game. So when you do all the side missions and everything, you can 100% it. So I got all the Riddler trophies, did the Hush storyline, found all the secret stuff that you have to look through, and I did it on that one. I'm like, I want to know how it is. I want to remember if it is. Is it as good as I remember? And so far, yes. Good. So far, it delivers the happies. It does. I just I just defeated the penguins, and got to Rajal Ghoul. So now I get to do the whole demon trials. It, I remember those were less satisfying than I expected. Yeah, the the demon trial was less satisfying when I played it. I was like, man, this is like actually kind of the low point in the game. Like, fuck, like this is kind of boring. And the super cool old Gotham automatons never did anything. They were just there, and it was a it was a city that he pitched because he found a magical Lazarus pit under Gotham. Even though like the Lazarus pits like somewhere in the Himalayas, Himalayas, and you're just like, what the fuck? Like, uh, okay, like this is getting confusing. But feed over- the fans. You got to feed the fans, man. Give them what they want. Yeah, fuck, it doesn't make sense. That's like Arkham Origins. Like you made city, and then you made asylum, and then Origins comes out. A, a different studio made Origins. Yeah, it's, that was Warner Brothers Montreal. Not Rocksteady. Hold on a second. And apparently it showed. Mm-hmm. And you think to yourself, why? Why would this be how you do this? And the answer is, my money. That's all I cares about. Yeah, that's... Your kids like content? I got you some content. <laughs> that, that's essentially, yeah, it was Warner Brothers. Yeah, Warner Brothers Montreal. It, don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's not. Oh shit! The uh, online portion, uh, Batman Arkham Origins. I did not know there was an online portion. 
was ended five years ago. Who knew? People who cared knew. There was a thing, and it was there, and we allocated development time. Took it away from the main project and said, put in this online thing because it's trendy to have online things. And the developers said, this is not going to be a good decision. They said, do it anyway! And they did it. Split resources, made an online thing. And then the bosses came back and said, we're not making any money on this. Shut it down. Great boss, thanks. That feels fucking amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> Essentially, Agent yeah. re- Restack all this top stock. That's going to take a lot of time. I got afraid to do. No, no, no. Got to do all the top stock first. Yep. Hey, it looks like shit. Put it over again. I know you just restacked this in top stock, but I need you to move actually that bay over to this bay because we need this bay cleared up to make a display for the bay underneath and the top space cannot, can't be used. The fuck? Okay. And we just, are you arguing with me? Are you questioning me? I am. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. But yes, uh, Warner Brothers Montreal made it, and the, the online portion only lasted three years. Who knew? Well, I again, we, we didn't know because we forgot. No different than that. Actually, that might still be alive. The survivor mode for the Tomb Raider relaunch, the reboot, because it's still, they were selling convenience DLC. And if yeah. it's trendy, part of your culture, you just grab all the things. Who cares? It's just fucking video games. What does it matter? And then you pause and think about the very real life circumstances of the people involved in the production process, the creation process, the publishers, the legacy it creates, um, and constantly chasing short-term goals when if you looked a little further ahead and laid it out sensibly, like, say, Supergiant Games, A, your product is, product is better, B, your staffers are more capable and happier, and C, you're remembered in a much more positive light, as opposed to, oh yeah, I was one of those. Because you say Transistor, go, oh shit, I remember Transistor. You say Chasm. What? What's Chasm? Oh, it's like a Doom clone or a Quake clone. Oh, was it any good? It was all right. It made some money. But hmm. Darksiders 3, though, that's the one. Darksiders? I don't know. I haven't played any of Darksiders, so I couldn't tell you how they are. At least when I say the word, you have franchise awareness. Your brain says, I think I know what that is, as opposed to you just said some shit, man. What do those words mean? Yeah. And that's the way it ought to be. Leave a trace of something intelligible. Possibly even interesting. Hard to say. Uh, isn't Darksiders the one with... Uh... Uh-huh. Mark Hamill, correct, who does one of the voices? He does indeed do one of the voices in the Darksiders, yes. How old is Darksiders? I want to take a look. Wow, 11-year-old game. Actually, yes. came out four days before Batman Arkham Asylum. Weirdly enough, it was the bestest non-brand Zelda that was available. We got a guy in a red hood going around hacking and slacking, hacking and slacking stuff. Yeah, whatever and that means. And there's a horse, and he can do wild sword combos. And uh, he talks, unlike Link, but when he talks, you almost wish he didn't. And then everyone around says, oh, the world's ending. Please help. Do this. I'm Liam O'Brien. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. Can you please go kill the thing? Thanks. It's a pretty solid entertainment product. The entire franchise is uneven in terms of what it delivers and when. But I did play through the first game, I think, three times total. I played through the second game 
one and a half times. It's quite a gap there between the first and second game. Five years? Yes, five years and a lot of a lot of spilt tears. And the third game, gap again. Let's find out. But again, it's contemporary conception versus looking back and saying, oh, in context, this looks different. And that's the trap we all fall in. And when did Darksiders the Genesis come out or whenever? What? Within the last two years. Let's take a look. Yeah, so Darksiders 3 came out in 2018, almost three years ago. But different studio, different things. Genesis is well, 29 bucks. Came out two years ago. So a little over a year after Darksiders 3, Darksiders Genesis came out. But it was a parallel project by different people. In fact, some of the original uh, team members, as far as I understand, under a different logo or a uh, license, because their studio got dissolved, but then either rebranded or reconstituted. And that's the money ball politics of creating entertainment products. You're right, kids. It's just video games. Multi-billion dollar industry, who gives a fuck? Please enjoy the next offering from the Marvel content mill. Marvel versus Capcom 8. Some shit happened. That's the whole name of the uh, title. Wouldn't be the worst thing, actually. Uh, are you aware that at long last, allegedly, the final character has been released for Super Smash Bros. Brawl? Sora. Or Ultimate, Smash Ultimate? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sora, which is, as somebody pointed out in the podcast, wild. Because think of all the licensing agreements that have to happen for that character to even be released from Daddy Disney. And well, it all depends who owns the who owns the NIL for it. Yeah, you're right. Who owns it? If Square then, owns it, then they don't have to worry about it. But they do. I'm sure there's a joint entity because Kingdom Hearts touched a Disney once, so now there's now there's some money to be made. And when it's all said and done, it's supposed to say, please enjoy the following beloved Disney characters, such as no one. This is the last one. This is the last Disney character we'll ever do. Thanks for the fee. That's just plain scary. But the question is, do you even care about the Smash? And if part of the answer is, fuck yeah, they have 89 characters, well, I think I understand what this game is about. More guys of the game. Here's your four buttons. Here's your direction stick. Go have fun. And there's room for that. And then one might also say, okay, but who cares? It's just a game. And then I'd say, then what's the tournament scene all about? And why does it have 89 characters? And I just, sorry, I'm, I'll stop throwing it back at your face eventually. We'll, we'll okay, pivot this so, to it. No, no, no. I was, I was reading into it. So uh, does Disney own Kingdom Hearts? Yes, Disney owns Kingdom Hearts. According to former Disney VP of production, John Viganoki. A lot of people are confused about who owns Kingdom Hearts, but it's Disney. It's developed in partnership with Square Enix. So they own the rights to the game uh, and the image of Sora. So yes, that is a huge hurdle to jump through. So you wouldn't have to go to Square Enix. You would have to go to Disney. And Disney probably said, hey, here you go. Well, they probably said, what am I getting out of this? Well, yeah, they pay, probably paid them money. The answer is goodwill, question mark? Fine. <laughs> or somebody in the board meeting looked at the pitch documents said, wait, we own this? 
I don't even recognize this. I don't know what the fuck I'm looking at. Who's this girl? Yeah. All that trouble. And of course, there's some joke that Mr. Sakurai, who's most responsible for the franchise, he gets to wave at the crowd and say, hope you enjoy, just fade away. Or crumble into dust. He may rest now. But you know, borrowed jokes, not my material. Anything else to say, Chucks? Uh, no, I was still reading the sore thing. So yeah, uh, no, not a whole lot. Um, I have had a hell of a run playing a bunch of all, uh, playing all those games. I mean, it's you're hopping four or five games at a time. It's it's difficult to keep the pace up. I don't know why you're doing that, but this is what you're choosing to do. Hey, you t- this is fun. I'm having fun. I've always done that, even since I was a kid. Well, it, maybe that explains in part why nothing sticks. Because the only games you spend significant focused time on are Resident Evil, and those you know like the back of your hand for the most part. I do. And then I the others, so you sort of jump out, jump in, jump out. What are we doing? Doesn't matter. Essentially, yeah. With, with Assassin's Creed, I, I, I never got really involved. The first one didn't really enjoy, second one really didn't care about, third one never even touched. Black Flag, on the other hand, though, enjoyed it. Enjoyed the pirate ships, enjoyed everything about it. And I went, let me get into this while I also play this and this. Ooh, look at this. Another one. I was like James Woods from Family Guy. Ooh, a piece of candy. Ooh, a piece of candy. And I just kept going. So I'll play like anywhere from like five to ten games at a time hopping through. But like you said, it doesn't help me stick with what I remember. And that's why whenever I ask you, hey, how was blank? Game's pretty good. (laughs) Oh, Essentially... Like, fuck, I don't remember anything about it. Maybe a good practice might be to look inwards to oneself and ask, what is preventing me from engaging with or really becoming vulnerable to these moments, these experiences? Because most of the games you enjoy are do-some-shit games. You, You log in and you do some shit. Story may be a consideration context and narrative yeah if it's good i guess collectibles oh yeah yeah collectibles i gotta i gotta 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 get them mind goblins mind goblins i see what you i i understand why it works the way it works i just don't quite yet see how i can rescue you from that because it is very much a if you get past that element of your psyche i'm not saying you're not having fun now you are having fun now but if you step up to a different place, you're going to see something like, was this shit here the whole time? And I'll have to say, yeah, yeah, the whole time, dude. And much like you're coming back to Arkham City, you'll say, I have to replay my entire catalog right now. I didn't know games were like this this whole time. And I'll say, hey, better late than everybody. Hope you enjoy. That is I, what I, okay, so how do I put this? Me growing up, because I saved so much money, I had so many. I was able to rent games and buy so many games as a kid that that's what the issue was. The only games I hark so I had to play adventure games as a group of them at a time because I would play sports games for days on end, and then I'm like, okay, well, I need a break for a little bit. Oh shit, I got this, 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 and this, and this, and this. Okay, let me get a group of them in for a day or two, then I'd go back to my sports game. And then I'd, for about a week, and then I'd go back into the five or six games that I was playing, and then I would jump back into the sports game. So that's why I do it the way I do it. It's because 
And it isn't just like, oh, I had one sports game. I had Madden. I had NCAA football. I had baseball. I had basketball that I was always playing on. So there was different sports games that I was doing at the same times too. So it just would come back to bite me in the ass. So I'm playing. I'm juggling 10 games. So it's like, I just got to beat it. Oh, God. I don't know what's going on. But fuck it. The only ones that stuck with me were the Resident Evil games. Because to me, they were fun. They challenged me. They made me puzzle everything and question. And how do I get through this? What's the way to get around it? And for the other games, it's just those puzzles never stuck with me for some reason. But I know a lot of them have the same thing. So we take a predatory rental structure. Mm -hmm. We come up with a healthy dose of ADHD. And uh, I guess that solves a mystery. <laughs> it does. <laughs> games are things to engage with and beat. And that is the extent of their value. That's how I was as a kid. Now as an adult, things have changed slightly. That's I'm... why I'm very happy that I'm able to challenge your endurance and point of attention with something like Disco. That's a It's a big piece of pound cake to bite off, I, I will admit. But you're responding to it better than, like, say, no, and I'm leaving. Yeah, you're no. finding many things to enjoy. Sure, it's episodic. We're not binging it exactly. Not, not too much. But the door is creaking open. Oh, shit. What else is there? Well, good news. Lots. You just didn't have the language to form a query. As in where to start looking and what to get out of this thing. Games are strictly a linear sequence of challenge levels that you must stomp to death and move on. That's one way of looking at it. Far from the only way, and there's so much more, if you ask for something else. Well, I'm not asking. Okay. They will still be here, hopefully, unless they are not available for political reasons. If and when you decide you want to look. I'm not putting down the way you're enjoying things. I'm just contrasting the focus points we experience because we share a bunch of them. But I keep saying, Chuck, Chuck's buddy, Chuck's buddy. Look at the look at the characteristics and the, the texture of what's being presented and the nuance. Yeah, cool, 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 cool. Um, 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 where, how can I get all the things? Or what's the hardest I can beat this on? Okay. Sir, I think the Soul series is for you. <laughs> I still have never played those. I, I understand. We've covered that. And at some point, we will. And it's going to be a treat. I think you're going to get a kick out of it when I get so frustrated that I'm just like, fuck it, I'm out of here. Go to hell game. And then you'll come back. I will. I will definitely come back. Cause that's, that is just who I am. Just, man, God damn it. I got to me, me. Let yeah. me pick up the controller. I'll play it. Me. You, you might take, I mean, I don't know how much you like platforming, but I think hollow Knight would also tickle some things within you that are traversal is hard. Enemies are assholes. I'm always short of everything. God, I hate this life simulator. Ah, ah, and then your familiarity and ability grow. Your resources expand. And it's not like you're flush with victory. But it's less spoopy. It's less miserable. You you earn ways to recover and ways to balance and pitch your, pace yourself. And the experience begins to change and transform from stupid fucking gotta beat this eh, to, well, yeah, but how does this puzzle piece click into the other stuff that I've learned? And does it mean anything? Where's this going? I'm curious. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of how I've heard about Celeste. Like it's it's a lot deeper than what you think, and the way you got to play it, and the deep the understanding behind of what the game's actually about. So yes, I'll have to let you know. Yeah, well, I can play it on Game Pass for free. I just I need to pick it up. But with me playing Back for Blood, I I don't know if I'll if I will pick it up because I don't know how long it's on there for. But I probably should. I hear it's a really, really good game, and everything I see on Steam right now says it's overwhelmingly positive. 
I would argue that the redemption value of Celeste is at least marginally greater than Back for Blood. But oh, yeah. you have big boy pants. You can decide what's best for you. I am paying. I'm I the reason I'm playing Back for Blood is because my buddy has it, and it's a game I can play with him while I'm chit chatting with him. That's fair. That makes absolute sense. No, I'm not playing it because the story's great. Get me, don't get me wrong, the story's shit. Like, oh god, we got General Dickbag who needs us to do stuff. Yeah, okay, look, I've seen this a million times. Like, Dawn of the Dead did it, like, or Day of the Dead did it, like, 40 years ago. Good for you. Just guns, shoot, pow, pow. Let me tell me, tell me where the objective is and I'll get there. That's how I look at Back for Blood. But while playing with friends, I can shoot the shit while talking with them. So it's a fun, I, fun experience. I totally get that. Just, I don't want you to limit yourself to. And that's about the sum of it. This yeah. is all that video games are. Who cares? Doesn't matter. No, I know that I have slowly learned that there are some games that have deeper meaning behind them and that they can be deeper and I should understand the story. And I just don't sometimes. Well, I suggest that we get to some more of that because I think this is a good chunk of talk. I can feel you're fading a little bit and I'd like to refresh your attention over a little bit of Misery Cop. What do you say? All right, that sounds like a plan and a half. All right, well, thank you all for joining us once again at the Grime Cast with Robbie. And I'm not Chucks. And there's a bit of promotion we have to do. Yep. So don't forget, guys, you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and anywhere else you get your fanciful podcast. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube if you want to see the live version of it. Well, not live, but recorded version with video game behind it. Today's video game, as always, not as always, as I mentioned, is Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Uh, if you want us to see, a, want us want us to play other games while we're talking about them, uh, you can always recommend them on a YouTube channel or send us a message on either platform. Um, if you guys also want to see us play uh, Disco Elysium, you can find us on YouTube at Grime and Game. For, so for Grime and Game, once again, I'm Nutchucks. He's Browbeat. Yay! We'll see you next time.